Hey, Geeks and Geekheads, this is Lysmith. And I'm Retinax5, and you're listening to the Geekin' Podcast. This week on the blog, we did reviews for Uncanny X-Men number 14, Harley Quinn number 0, and Voice in the Dark number 1. Have you heard about any of these? Uh, I'm familiar with the character of Harley Quinn. She was actually born in the uh, Batman animated series, and they spun her off into the comic books. And So now she has her own comic? Yeah, she she was actually in uh, Suicide Squad when they rebooted the new 52. But now oh. they're starting her own comic, and they started with a number zero. And uh, even if you don't like the rest of the series, even if the rest of the the what they've changed with Harley Quinn, everything, even if you hate that, if you're a Harley Quinn fan, you've got to pick up this number zero. Because what they did was they took, um, I think it's altogether uh, 17 different artists are on this comic. You're kidding and basically what it is is – Is it a page per artist or something? Per art, almost – yeah, I think maybe one or two of them have got two pages, but it's almost a page an artist. And it starts off with Harley Quinn daydreaming about having her own comic book. <laughs> and she goes, well, you know, what would it be like and who would who would draw me and how would they draw me and what kind of style would we do? <laughs> and uh, each page has got a little bit of a different piece of a story. Uh, about Harley Quinn in it, and she comments on how she looks or, or what's going on around her or stuff. And and it's, each one is very funny, but they've got uh, uh, Adam Hughes, they've got Jim Lee, uh, all, um, Terry Dodson, wow. all kinds of really big names do a page of Harley Quinn. And uh, it's, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Very funny. And, and this is going to be a continuing series, though. This isn't a one-shot. Right. The, but they they move number zero like a one shot. In fact, at the end it says, "The end." Join us for issue number one. We promise not to break the fourth wall anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Animal Man. Right. So <laughs> this isn't uh, uh, this issue doesn't have anything else to do with the rest of the story or anything. It was just kind of a cute little introduction. And uh, but so there was not even any really storyline to it or anything. You have but it's it's a really cute, a lot of fun. So, ah, I have to pick that up. Uh, X Men number Uncanny X Men number fourteen, I really enjoyed, and uh, because it hits one of those uh, pet peeves of mine. There's uh, one of the new X Men for Cyclops comes out of the closet. Okay. In- instead of handling it the way a lot of other comic books and Marvel has handled characters coming out of the closet, it's very low key. It's very there's one like two panels, maybe. <laughs> And that's really? it, and then they move on, and I loved it uh, because they they make such a big deal about characters being homosexual. They do. It, yeah. it almost becomes a character. It does. It defines their character. Um, there's been several times in comic books where I sit there and character comes out of the closet, as you say, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. But unfortunately, it derails their entire character development, and their character becomes just, hey, I'm the gay character. Right. I, I really don't like the way they handle it sometimes. But this one – the character Benjamin Deeds, uh, he's able to change shape into the closest person next to him, and Emma Frost figures out that it's not just physical that he takes on small attributes of that person and makes them feel more comfortable around him. Hmm. And so she decides to use that to her advantage and takes him to Atlanta City to train him and says, "Go hit on that woman. Don't change into her all the way, but just enough." to make her feel comfortable with you, make you familiar to her, and try to get her number, basically. 
And he goes, I can't, I'm gay. And she says, I don't care. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the training. It has nothing to do with what she wants from him. She's not asking him to marry her or sleep with her even. Just go get her mm-hmm. number. And that's it. And they move on. They don't talk about it again. <laughs> and so I loved it. I thought it was just a great way to handle a character coming out of the closet that way. That's awesome. But it's, it's a genuinely funny story. Uh, anyway, the, the whole comic is very well done. It's another Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, ah. I, I, I Every week I go, you know, I think I'm a really big Brian Michael Bendis fan. I just didn't know it. <laughs> Like a couple of years ago, I started looking through my DVDs, and I'm apparently a really big Ryan Reynolds fan. Had no idea. Oh, don't don't admit that in public. <laughs> don't admit that you're a Ryan Reynolds fan in public. Not if you're a man. I just i I didn't think. I mean, if you'd ask me, I'd be like, yeah, he's okay. But I own a lot of his movies. Apparently, I'm a really no, no, no. Ryan Reynolds <laughs> peaked at Van Wilder, and he's been going downhill ever since. It is the only. Good things he's done since Van Wilder. Well, really good thing is he was married to Scarlett Johansson. Briefly, <laughs> that's it. It's like Van Wilder, Scarlett Johansson. But thinking about it, if you had a chance to be Van Wilder and be married to Scarlett Johansson, what more need you do in your life? <laughs> I mean, that, that that's it. You won. That's you true. won. That's true. So I take it back. Let us all aspire to be <laughs> to be him. <laughs> Uh, and come to think of it, I don't have any new stuff. But I mean, you said uh, Van Wilder was his peak, and I, you're right. I don't have any new stuff by him. But uh, I think the movie uh, <laughs> Waiting was is one of my favorite movies, where they're all they're working in kind of a Bennigan's style restaurant. That's one of my favorite I movies. I don't think I've seen that. <laughs> You'll have to. It's really funny, and and makes you never want to eat in a restaurant again. But it's really funny. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> one of those. <laughs> The other review I did this week was uh, Voice in the Dark. Podcaster, right? It's a story of podcasting, Voice it's, in the Dark? No, uh, well, no, not really. Um, oh. I, I guess it could be. Um, no, it's about this college girl who um, does a radio show. She is the, – the whole premise behind the show is that people can call in anonymously and talk about their fears and uh, deepest, darkest desires and same things like that. And, um but she also happens to be a uh, serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of got a Dexter feel to it, but it, the way it's written is, is very different. And in fact, I, I say in the review that it, the tone of the comic book reminds me a lot of A Scanner Darkly. Uh-huh. But, I, but I enjoyed it. And it's an interesting comic book because it started off as a Kickstarter. A gentleman had the idea to, for the book and – uh, funded it himself, did the first three issues, I believe, and then turned it into a graphic novel. And uh, it generated so much buzz and was so good that Top Cow picked it up and uh, took the chance on a creator going comic, which is rare these days, and decided to produce it themselves. And so now the guy works for Top Cow. But it was very well done. Uh, if, if I had to complain about it at all, I'd, I'd be afraid that as a monthly comic, as I think it's going to be, I'm afraid it's a little slow. To be, if you had the whole collection in a graphic novel, I think you'd be fine. Yeah, I was going to say from the description that you've uh, you've given, it sounds much more like a graphic novel than an ongoing series. It sounds like it should be like, or at the very least, a limited, you know, five or six issue story. It just it feels more like that than an ongoing. Yeah, and I, I think it'll do well when it comes out as a trade, but I'm worried that it won't last very long as a monthly comic. It'll just seem kind of slow. Mm-hmm. But it's well worth the read. 
look at the news um, because we spoke yeah, about Batman and Superman at length. At length last week. Uh, and this is going to be our Superman show this time. Um, at length again. Again. <laughs> we do have a, a, a bit of news on this Batman Superman. In fact, I have a couple of different things to say all mm-hmm. about this one piece. Um, one of the producers for the WB tweeted, and he said, I can't wait for hashtag Batman versus Superman. And then he – another hashtag Batfleck, semi-retired slash not speaking to Robin anymore. Controlling drones from the Batcave, so obviously it's 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 kind of a confirmation about Nightwing slash Robin being in the movie, mm-hmm. and then he hashtags not Batman Superman but Batman versus Superman. Yeah, so immediately Soup's had first villain taken away from him already. Right, he had one movie and suddenly Batman's got first <laughs> villain in the sequel. How many how many cities must he destroy before he gets first villain in a movie? <laughs> Because there were a lot of cities, there were a lot of destruction in that movie. That's that's one of the things that I'll point out here in a minute. But that was, I mean, you said before that there was a lot of destruction in the movie, but I warned you. Yeah, it's just wow. Okay, <laughs> okay. Anyway, it's Batman versus Superman. So uh, obviously, going back a little bit to what we talked about last week, it definitely sets up to be the uh, the fight right movie, or, the, or at least the conflict yeah movie. And controlling drones from the Batcave kind of gives it a uh, Kingdom Come kind of. Oh, I, I, yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. I was thinking kind of like a, a take on OMAC. Oh. Uh, sort, of, sort of deal, you know, controlling, you know, you spying on everybody. But yeah, that's actually more Kingdom Come. Yeah. Semi-retired, not speaking to Robin anymore. Yeah, I can see where they're sort of springboarding a little bit off of Dark Knight Returns, but giving it its own spin you know dkr robin is dead this one he's had some sort of falling out right um it's interesting i'm a little wary of the batman versus superman thing but the uh semi-retired not speaking to robin anymore i kind of like the older uh just the grizzled kind of DKR, basically Dark Knight Returns, sort of a damaged. Right. And I, I'm, I like that element of it. Controlling drones from the Batcave is kind of interesting, though. And it could mean for some really cool special effects, too. Of course, and that's very, very important. Um, but, I mean, it is Zack Snyder. Right. <laughs> but you're right. The uh, What I was pointing out with that hashtag was the verses, mm-hmm. uh, which was something we talked about being worried about last week was it being a versus movie and, well, I was thinking about that more during the week, and I'm not opposed to the concept of a movie in which Batman is opposed to Superman. This is almost natural for their characters. They're both good guys, but their uh, viewpoints are completely, you know, they're diametrically opposed. So it's going to be very, you know, that's why writers of comic books for decades have played on the idea of them confronting one another for a variety of circumstances. Um, so I don't have the pro- a problem with the idea of Batman versus Superman. If a significant amount of the conflict is intellectual, yeah, them sort of feeling each other out, trying to find out whether or not they can trust each other sort of deal. I just don't want two hours of explosions is my, my fear. You know, you pick up some of those comic books where so-and-so fights so-and-so. It's like seven, eight, nine, ten pages. And in a 20-page comic book, that's a significant amount of, you know, space of just throwing people through buildings and that sort of deal. 
But if the I have no problem with a plot uh, with a film if the plot is sort of them learning about one another and not trusting one another, and they do inevitably have a conflict, and of course then there will be some sort of a a larger threat that they will have to join forces for. It's all a matter of how it's done. I just don't want a two-hour fight film. That's sort of my fear. Well, with the controlling drones from the Batcave combat, it makes me kind of feel like it's uh, we're going to get a fight scene, but it might not be Batman versus Superman in the fight scene. We'll have lots of explosions for one scene where Superman fights the the drones Batman's controlling, but then we should have a more intellectual fight after that. Because obviously Batman can't really take on Superman in a fist fight unless he's got you know the the Kryptonite. But yeah, but if he doesn't, then I can see a fight with the drones and then it changing to more of an intellectual battle after that, and then having to join at the end. You see, when you mentioned when I write controlling drones from the Batcave and we're circling around the Batman versus Superman, I wasn't looking at the drones as as a, a warrior thing. I was looking at them as spying, as ways to spy on Superman, spy on the Man of Steel. You know, he's turned on CNN and he watched Metropolis collapse like everybody else did. Right. And he wants to know what what happened. Who is this guy? Because all this stuff is live on television. He wants to know more about Superman. You know, and so I, I picture the drones are being more more of spying equipment that he's sending out. Suddenly there's a new player in town and batman of course has to know everything he can so i maybe we won't even see batman for a period of time he'll just be this mysterious presence in the dark who's uh spying on superman you know we already saw at the very end of the of man of steel he does not like being spied on right um but again all, i mean we're sitting here with what three sentences and trying to spin the entire <laughs> film plot out of it <laughs> But but you're you're right. I, I would like to see less Batman, at least in the beginning, and you know. make him a mysterious figure. Right. One more one of those uh, less is more kind of. Yeah. Scene. Don't make it like Dark Knight Rises, where he's walking around in daylight. And right. Just, he needs to be in the shadows and in the dark. Yes, because that was one of the biggest issues with Dark Knight Rises: is that out in the open, that suit just didn't work I, as well. He was in the sun so often. I swear, I thought he needed sunblock. <laughs> You know, I was telling you, I was like, he's, dude's going to get a sunburn out there that much. But uh, I would like to see sort of uh, the Batman character being, oh, for the first half of the film, this this presence that's whispered yeah. about. That uh, Batman is spying on Superman, but at the same time, Superman is discovering Batman. You know, they're sort of they're sort of measuring each other and trying to figure each other out without a confrontation until, you know, then you can have your confrontation and Zack Snyder can have a lot of fun, you know, blowing stuff up. But, uh, I'd like to see them circling around each other for at least the beginning of the film. I think I'll shoot WB an email. Cause I like the stuff we come up with better than the stuff I'm hearing. Out of totally. Uh, other thing in the news, uh, Terrence Howard, <laughs> <laughs> because he hasn't done anything in the last, what, eight years to just talk. about, yeah, wait, no, wasn't, wasn't he in that George Lucas, uh, World War II movie was about he? the fighter pilots Was he that nobody went and saw? Right. I don't know. I didn't see it. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure he can show up in a Tyler Perry movie or there's always a place for turns oh ah. well this time he's talking about blaming Robert Downey Jr. for getting kicked out of the role 
of um, blaming Robert Downey Jr. Now, there's a great way to continue to be employed. <laughs> in Criticize the most popular and powerful actor in the business right now. <laughs> oh, he went off, and the stuff he came up with, I think, was just absolutely crazy. Uh, he said that Robert Downey Jr. demanded more money for the second film, so they were going to take it from Terrence Howard and offer him one eighth of what he was contracted for. And he said when he called his friend, who he helped get the role for Iron Man, his words, uh, okay. <laughs> that Robert Downey Jr. didn't call him back for three months. He didn't comment on the conversation they had when he did call him back. He just said he didn't call me for three months. <laughs> just picture Robert Downey Jr. But you're like, I did call you back because I don't have your number on my phone, dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, but apparently he got Robert Downey Jr. the role as Iron Man. Not John Favreau. No, or no, no. Like it's all Terrence Howard. He did it. We're, it's it's Terrence Howard's world. We're just living it. Right exactly. And because it makes all kinds of sense for them to try and take money away from Terrence Howard and then turn around and get Don Cheadle to replace <laughs> him, right? Because Don Cheadle had to be so cheap. Yeah, it's not like he's like an award-winning actor and starred in a lot of very good films. And Don Cheadle's a heck of a star himself. Right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious. Okay, uh, he got Robert Downey Jr. the job. Okay. Uh, but he demanded more money for the second film, and they took it from Terrence and offered him one-eighth of what he was contracted for. I think I remember reading something along the lines of that Downey his, – his, he did definitely get a big raise between the first and second film. But it was on the scale of millions upon millions of dollars. I think I think it was paid like less than a million, I want to say, or somewhere in that area for the first film, and then it was like $10 million or something. For this, these are just ballpark numbers. Again, I don't have their contracts on file over here. <laughs> But so it was like a huge raise, yeah. and I'm sorry, was Terrence Howard going to make nine million dollars for the second film? I don't know. He did say that it was going to be getting progressively more. That it was a, originally contracted for a three movie deal. Yeah. And that each movie he was supposed to get a little more, and then in the second movie they offered him one eighth of what he was contracted for. If he's under contract, how can they offer him one? Eighth, if it's written in the contract, <laughs> I told him. Couldn't he file some sort of grievance with the with SAG, with the actors' union? Instead, he's just going to wait like six years and realize his career hasn't gone anywhere, and he needs to blame somebody. Right. <laughs> it's like his his uh, manager called him up. It's like I can't get any jobs for you. Nobody even remembers who you are. <laughs> Do something to get in the news. Release a sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> Something. Release a sex tape with Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> You're going to have to talk about Iron Man again before anybody will pay attention to you. problem is people talk about Iron Man and they talk about the character. They're like, that's Don Cheadle, right? Oh, wait, no, there was another guy in the back of the first film. It's Don Cheadle's who we know <laughs> because his role's, Cheadle's role is bigger than Howard's role was. It is. And I'm, I'm not even sure you know how I feel about Don Cheadle as as that character. That's, yeah, he's great. That's not who I would have probably gone with, but but that character in the comic books for me was a more um, uh, physically imposing person, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And Don Cheadle isn't. But well, he's a great actor, though. That's true. Tremendous actor, and he's brought that role to life. And yeah, you're right. Physically, he doesn't fit the role, but. <sighs> well, yeah, I was gonna say Robert Downey Jr. doesn't either, but he kind of does actually. <laughs> yeah. But the way they portrayed the character in the movies, I don't think he needed to be physically imposing. No. The only sort of uh, uh, 
way that he has that the character uh, has to be imposing in the films is in his ability to cut to the quick with Stark, just sort of call him out on his BS. Right. And so it's more of a personality thing than a physical presence aspect. And Cheadle is such a great actor, and he and Downey have such a good repartee already, um, like immediately, that you can see when the two of them are together that there's a chemistry there and that you can believe that Downey, that Stark, I should say, would listen to this man. Right. Would let you know, let him call him out and he'd listen to it. I didn't get that from the first film with Terrence Howard. Yeah. Terrence Howard was just the military guy. Right. No, I agree. But apparently they're such good friends in real life, it should have come through on the screen. Well, they were before Robert Downey before R D J stabbed him in the back like that. Yeah. Bad bastard. After all, that's it's not as if uh, you know we we haven't heard about Robert Downey Jr. just trying to help all the other people in the film. You know, he's trying to get all the other actors in the Avengers more money. It's just apparently Terrence Howard just hates him, right. or apparently he just hates Terrence Howard. That's... He's like, I'm going to be Jesus for everybody else, and 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 try and get more money. But for everyone's Terrence Howard, I'm going to kick him to the curb, and then I'm not going to call him back for, for three, three months. months. That seems to be what he was really angry about. It wasn't the money. <laughs> <laughs> it's. It's RDJ did not call me back for three months. I'm sorry. He was, you know, probably counting his millions that he was making off of Iron Man at that time and shooting cameos for all the Marvel films. I right. think his, uh, I imagine his voicemail was a little full. Everybody's against Terrence Howard. Poor Terrence. I feel so bad. It's just, it's just sad. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, there's a there's a role in a uh, in a in a Medea movie waiting for him. <laughs> yeah. What was that? I shouldn't say that. Terrence Howard is a good actor. I mean, he's, he do, the problem is he just hasn't done anything in a few years. And you're wondering how much of his ego is just preventing him from taking the roles that are necessary in order to construct a successful Hollywood career. You know, he had a couple great roles very early on. Um, he had the one he was nominated for an Oscar for. The, oh, I can't remember the name of it. The uh, sort of the, the hip hop film. And uh then he did Iron Man shortly thereafter, and it just seemed like everything was going in the right direction. But it's like he felt – it's almost like he got too big for the room. Yeah. And he just hasn't – his talent is not what's held him back. I'll just put it that way, which makes me wonder if there's something behind the scenes. I, I read an article recently on um, – what's her name? Catherine Hagel, the actress Catherine Hagel. Oh, yeah. Not sure how you pronounce it, and how she hasn't been in movies much for the last couple of years, and she's been talking about how she adopted a child and all that. But in the article, I believe it might have been in Variety or some such Hollywood Reporter, I'm not sure. But it said the the real reason is that directors just don't want to work with her. That she's this extremely successful actress, you know, put her in a movie like a romantic comedy, you're guaranteed to make you know seventy to eighty, ninety million dollars. But directors just don't want to work with her. And when I first heard about this Terrence Howard story about Robert Downey Jr., that was the first thing that came to my mind was I'm wondering how much of his problems are more him-oriented Yeah, because he had everything set up. And the guy has a ton of talent, but it just hasn't happened for him. You're right. Maybe if he just toned it down just a little bit. Stop yeah. ripping people in the press, then he might do more work. Yeah, if you work and play well with others, uh, generally good things will come your way. But that was all the the news for 
this week. So we wanted to move into our Superman stuff. Uh, now we get to the Man of Steel and the Man of Steel edition. Yes. Uh, Geekin podcast. And we decided to do something uh, interesting. We mentioned at the end of the last podcast that aside from just, re- in my case, rewatching the film, and in your case, watching the film for the first time, we would also choose a, uh, a Superman story arc, a comic book, graphic novel, trade paperback, standalone issue, what have you, that um, either we had always wanted to read or we had read it was one of our favorites, and we would each read that this week and uh, give a little bit of a synopsis review, do a little, talk, you know, just sort of talk about it. So we'll give a, keep the star, or I'm sorry, there I am saying Star Trek again, <laughs> keep the Superman theme uh, going for the, uh, for the episode. Yeah. What story did you pick? I originally had thought about doing uh, John Burns Man of Steel miniseries. I thought we were doing the Man of Steel review. So we might uh, film. So we might as well do the Man of Steel uh, miniseries. I've read it a couple times. Uh, it's John Byrne's version of Superman is basically my version of Superman. He's sort of who I see in my head. Um, but then I decided I'd end up doing a lot of comparisons to the movie. Right. You know, as especially the Kryptonian sequences are very, very similar to Byrne's version of Krypton because it was sort of an origin story. I was like, no, I'm just going to end up saying, oh, and this is like this, and this is like that. And it would be moving away from the comic and booting the conversation forward into the movie review. So instead, I decided to do a Elseworlds story that I had not read but had wanted to read uh, called Superman Red Sun uh, by Mark Millar. And I believe the art was done by two gentlemen. Um, Let's see. Dave Johnson and Killian Plunkett. And not familiar really with either of the works. I should say this was done in the early 2000s, 2003. Uh-huh. A three-issue limited series. I'm very familiar with Mark Millar. I think everyone's familiar with Mark Millar, one of the one of the big 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 guns right. in uh, in writing, comic writing. I mean, um, not too familiar with the the artist, uh, but they did a great job. The the basic story is it's uh, essentially a, a what if story, as most of these Elseworlds stories are. That said, what if um, Kal-El's, Kal-El's ship had arrived 12 hours later? And uh, through, because of the Earth's rotation, he had landed in the Ukraine, the Soviet Union, and had been raised as a Soviet, truth, justice, in the Soviet way. <laughs> and this uh, intrigued me because it's a bit of alternative history. And you know, I, I think I mentioned before that pro- – my profession is I, I'm a historian, uh, and I like alternative history. I like reading uh, authors like Harry Turtledove who write alternative history, which is just that. It's a what if, and it sort of shows how history would have changed. And uh, this uh, this miniseries, uh, graphic novels I read it in, uh, basically is how the world would have changed, how the DC universe, I should say, would have changed um, if Superman had been a Soviet citizen and fighting for socialism and things like that. Uh, and I have to say, except for a few things where it's a bit on the nose, there's some cameos that are just sort of like, hey, this name is going to be familiar to people, so let's throw them in. Aside from that, I really enjoyed this. The art is beautiful. It's um, this odd combination of just comic book art with that sort of 
deco 1930s soviet style like you would see on the propaganda posters right um and it's just it's striking lots of reds and blacks and the coloring is wonderful in it uh the story is great it it definitely does do this you know it flips things around in the sense that you're kind of rooting for the soviet union (laughs) which is odd but uh you know and and there's some great cameos throughout the piece because you're seeing how the superhero world would have developed in a different world in a different universe again this is what the else worlds books are all about uh you got a bit of green uh, there's actually a wonderful little green lantern moment that made me think of you uh in which uh Hal Jordan and the green lantern corps are trying getting ready to go fight uh superman and uh, one of the Green Lanterns starts whining about how, oh, we'll never win. We can't do this. We shouldn't do this. And you hear jo- uh, Hal Jordan sort of shout over his shoulder, Rainer, shut up. <laughs> and I was like, well, of course the one who's whining. <laughs> it's going to be Kyle. <laughs> it's going to be Kyle. And I, I laughed out loud and thought of you because I, I think we're going to end up doing a podcast in the future just about Kyle Rainer. We have to. Uh, but it's it's just wonder it's just a great wonderful little story. It's a it's very depressing on some levels because you're seeing that the U.S. without Superman is not be, it does not become the country that it can become because it doesn't have Superman to inspire the nation. Instead, it's Lex Luthor, who is America's preeminent citizen, and the country starts taking on the personality of Luthor. It's very dark. There's riots in the streets. I don't want to give too much away because the last issue or so is full of so many twists that you don't see coming um, that sort of make you go, oh, this is why we're reading a story where Superman is a Soviet. You know, you're spending all this time feeling uncomfortable rooting against America and rooting for the Soviet Union. And then about on the third and third and final issue. You see the turn and you see, oh, this is what Millar is saying. This is really good. Um, Brainiac plays a huge role, and it just made me think more and more that Brainiac may be a good villain for a Superman film. Um, Oh, and I did find one little factoid to sort of go into what we're going to be talking about after after yours. Um, Henry Cavill... Uh, says that Red Sun is one of the four Superman comics that he read to get the characterization for uh, Superman in the movie. Wow, really? Yeah, I did not know that till after I had read it. But um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a great little little story. I think it's like only 140 pages. I want to say, which isn't too bad for a, for a graphic novel. Um, it gives you a nice little tour through from the 1950s all the well, actually, well into the future. I mean, it the Basic story stops at about early 2000s, but then it does show uh, flash forwards, so to speak, uh, into thousands of years into the future. But the bulk of it is from the 50s to about 2000. You get a lot of cameos from celebrities, uh, presidents. Uh, There's actually a nice little throwaway. Again, not really historically accurate, but interesting sort of showing a president Kennedy who's married to Marilyn Monroe, uh, you know, in the, in the 1970s, again, all this stuff is supposed to be one little change has affected everything else as a historian. I kind of like that. Um, but ultimately what I liked was the story. It's just, 
it's a great Superman story in the sense that it really is about a man who wants to help the world and he's tr- he's trapped within a system and he's trying to change that system. You see the uh the wonderful um personality of Superman even though he's you know saying stuff about socialism and the working class and all that you're seeing that desire to help people but the thing that I really liked and why I really recommend the book is he really is an alien. He's alienated. He's alien. You know, he, there's something about the difference between America, which is this inclusive society with so many different cultures. And he's another immigrant that just allows him to rise and be the wonderful inspiration in the Soviet union. They don't have that. And so his character is an alien. He's not allowed or able to really become one of us. And that play that actually ends up driving the drama for the last 30 or 40 pages of the book. And to realize that's what Millar is trying to tell us, you know, what America is, the ideals of America, the immigrant nation. It's why we love Superman. If you plant Superman in a country that doesn't have that, belief about itself that that cultural history of immigrants um he's he becomes a different person he's the same desire to help people uh but he he loses the humanity that tempers his powers if that makes any sort of sense um so i i really enjoyed it um i i don't really have a a rating i think i'd give it three and a half red stars out of four (laughs) All right. Uh, it, w- it was very good. That sounds amazing. I actually haven't read the book yet, but I've heard lots about it, and they reference it all the time in different things. They did a uh, motion comic about it, I believe. I've read about that. I'm thinking about uh, about checking that out. Um, and in the video game Injustice, Gods Among Us, which was created by the guys who did Mortal Kombat, which is a brilliant game uh, uh, and lots of great story. Uh, some of the extra downloadable skins for characters are Red Sun themed. Yeah, the Superman uh, shield is basically the, um, the 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 communist emblem right. of the, the Sith, and it, it looks pretty badass. Actually, I have to admit, his whole his whole uniform looks uh, costume looks pretty badass. It's sort of the dark reds and blacks. Uh, it's the same basic look, but different, colder. Well, it sounds very cool. I'll, I'll definitely have to pick it up. I mean, like I said, I, I've heard of a lot about it, but I, it's just one of those things I've just never gotten around to reading. So what did you uh, what did you read? I chose All-Star Superman by Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly. Uh, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a great representation of Superman. Uh, not just Superman, but Clark Kent. I thought they did a really good job of, of capturing Christopher Reeves' Clark Kent and his kind of clumsy – Maybe a little anxious, you know, and I just, I just really enjoyed it. I thought they did a really good job of, of representing Superman and Lois Lane and their relationship I thought was great. It gave us a little different story than we normally see with Superman and, and felt a little more pulp fiction sci-fi kind of mm-hmm. feeling to me. But I just really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I really liked Lex Luthor oh, yes. in the Star Superman comic. Uh, Lex Luthor was a lot of fun. Actually, speaking of Lex Luthor… I'm actually liking him more right now, right the second in comic books and Forever Evil, the current storyline. He's not mm. um, 
he's not being portrayed as such a bad guy. He's just, he's trying, at least he's representing himself more along the lines of he's never been against Superman necessarily. He just didn't want humanity to become so dependent on him. Because now in the current storyline where the Justice League is missing and the crime syndicate has come over and take things over, the world's kind of falling apart without Superman to save everybody. And so Lex Luthor's going, I freaking told you guys, <laughs> if we didn't step up and take care of ourselves, we've been dependent on the Justice League and Superman to save us. And now we're just caught with our pants down and just can't handle the problem. And so he's not coming across as a bad guy, more of a just practical. So you're sort of seeing a method to his madness as opposed to him being some sort of like a mustache twirling villain being bad just for the sake of being bad. You're seeing why he has this opinion about Superman and all these superheroes. Right. And, and you know, in the comic book sometimes he comes across as uh, hating Superman and everything he represents. And, and so he goes the opposite direction and ends up being a terrible person. But in this, he doesn't come across mm -hmm. that way. He's not a terrible person. He just doesn't think we should be depending on Superman for everything. It's very interesting because Red Sun has a very similar interpretation to Lex Luthor. Uh, Luthor is obviously uh, the villain of the piece, but again, as it gets toward those final 40 or 50 pages, you begin to see that while there's certainly a tremendous amount of hubris driving his hatred of Superman, there is this uh, humanity behind it, this sense of we have to be allowed to be us and not have some god stepping in right. and changing things, which was a very interesting interpretation. It's one I've seen in, in other stories as well. But um, yeah, it's that's why Luther is such an interesting character. When he's not played like a cartoon, right. Luther can be a remarkably good character. Uh, a great villain because if you think about it, he's not really all that villainous. His ideals, I should yeah. say, his actions definitely are villainous, but there's a sense of he just believes in us, right. you know, and doesn't really want to be beholden to a God. I mean, that's Prometheus. I mean, that's just like one those, th that story goes back to the earliest mythology that there is. Right. Yeah. And for every evil, he, can, he, he says, you know, this is, what I've been waiting for. I knew there would become a day when Superman would let us down and we'd have to step up on our own. And so and, uh, mm. it was very interesting. I thought a enjoyable side to Lex Luthor that I, you don't see as often as you should. Mm -hmm. So what did you uh, rate uh, All-Star Superman? Oh, you know, I'm going to give it a three out of four stars. I think it's a solid read. Lots of fun, some humor, a little different story than you normally see to Superman. I really liked it. That's a, you know I'm going to agree with that. All Star Superman sometimes, oftentimes is held up as the greatest Superman story of all time, especially amongst people from the last ten or fifteen years. There's this sort of I don't understand it. There's just this love for that story, um, and I enjoyed it, but. I almost didn't like it just because of how much other people do like yeah. it. You know, I sit there and I'm like, this is pretty good, but this ain't the best story. This isn't the best Superman story of the year, let alone of all time. Um, but then again, it's very much, you know, Grant Morrison, and I'm I'm very hit and miss with Grant Morrison. Well, I think part of what makes me say that it's so good now 
is comparing the All Star Superman to the current New Fifty Two Superman. Oh, yeah. this is so much more Superman than Superman is right now. Uh, yeah, that I will agree with. And comparing it to the movie we're about to talk about, this is just so much more Superman than yeah. Superman is. We have to do a podcast on the New Fifty Two because we'll be a little late to the game, of course. But uh, the, I've again, I've mentioned this before. I'm a huge Superman fan, and I've been so disappointed by the way Superman has been handled in uh, in the relaunch. I mean, I'm sitting here, and my favorite suit, my favorite New Fifty Two comic is Aquaman. Yeah, there's some, there's something wrong in the world when that happens. <laughs> Not to slam Aquaman, of course. Right. Uh, yeah, I, and and again, I I do like All Star Superman a lot. Maybe just a tad too Silver Age for my taste. I can see that, sure. But yeah, I could I would agree with the three out of four. Uh, Quietly's art is beautiful. Oh yeah. Um, he's got that sort of big physical imposing. You know, he just looks like a big Superman right. guy. And uh, again, Morrison's stories are a little hit and miss. There's a couple issues that I've just thought, oh, gosh. But then there are a couple absolutely amazing yes. issues in there. So it's a, it's a very – I agree. It's a very good, very good Superman story. Um, I think the idea of doing a new 52-themed uh, podcast is, is probably great, especially soon. I think that mm-hmm. because you're still so much behind on things, I think uh, if we did a but catching up, yes, but catching up, catching up. But I think that if we did a comparison between where they were, where they started, and where they are now, because some of the characters have changed dramatically. Uh, in fact, I want to say I'm, I'm actually starting to enjoy Green Arrow. Oh, you're kidding! When I hated before, uh, but they've changed creative teams, and so we can. Do- we can do that podcast. I can be the voice from the past. Exactly. And you can be the voice from the present. <laughs> because I, I think that – So tell me, Elias Smith, what happens after <laughs> issue three? <laughs> Talking about it and comparing because I think you'll be able to remind me of things about the characters that I've forgotten or you know, the, the way they seemed before. So I think that, that's a great idea. We should work on that. Okay. I, I have to talk about it. I have to mention it. Growing up, reading comic books – when I first started collecting my own comic books was right during Death of Superman. Mm. And that whole story and, – and looking back on it and reading some of those comic books, it wasn't that great of a story. But I don't know. I guess I had to have been like eight or nine years old reading that. That was just amazing to me. That was one of the things that really drew me into comic books and, and made me so passionate about it was that story and how – uh, epic and, and just huge it was. It was obviously one of the first times I saw ever a, a story crossover into other titles. Because I had mm-hmm. Superman, I had you know Green Lantern, and then later the four Supermen ended up with their own titles for a few issues, I think. And uh, Including uh, Steel, if I remember correctly, came out of that. I, I remember being so hyped for that movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. Shaq. I had the t-shirt and everything. <laughs> Don't again. Don't admit that. <laughs> but uh, Death of Superman and Reign of Superman were just huge for me. In fact, uh, Starbase Twenty One, the comic shop that my uncle owned and my mom worked at when I was a kid, it was so big that they did store T-shirts that had the logo and address and phone number on the back, but on the front had the bloody Superman symbol on it. Really? Really? And I had it was black, uh, the bloody Superman symbol. And I had two of those T-shirts that I wore 
until they fell apart, and I was like 14 by the time I couldn't. I was just like, there's barely any fabric left here. I can't. <laughs> so this is becoming inappropriate to wear. But, but uh, <laughs> I wore those shirts forever, and I loved them. And uh, but yeah, even the comic book store did T-shirts on them and everything. So that's just a huge story. Huge part of growing up in comic books was Death of Superman and Reign of Superman. I think that's definitely a big cultural touchstone for comic book fans is that that era, that story. I, I don't think there's any real comic book fan over the age of 28 who does not have at least one black bag copy of issue 75 unopened and untouched because I know you can buy them for about 10 cents a piece. Right. People just lined up and bought dozens of those. That story was uh, so important to me that um, a few years ago when they came out with uh, Superman Doomsday, the, the DC animated film. Yes. I hated it. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, th- I thought it was okay. It's not the best of the DC animated films, but, you know, a Superman movie is always a good thing as far as I'm concerned. I couldn't stand it. I think um, – I want to say James Marsters did the voice for Lex Luthor in that, and so I really wanted to love it, and I really wanted to support it. I even bought it, and they changed the story so much from the original they did. that I ended up just giving it away. It made me so mad. Yeah, they did. Uh, basically, it was just a fight scene. Right. Is basically what the movie uh, boiled down to. It was just a fight scene. You didn't. Even, you didn't get the Superman. You didn't get the reign of the Superman. No. You didn't get anything really, other than just the death. Really, it was just the death of Superman. Right. And they could have just done so much more with it. I think. I think it was. It was really huge letdown for me. But I mean, like I said, this was a huge story for my childhood, so I had really high expectations for this cartoon. Unreasonable expectations for this cartoon. It really let me down. Have you revisited it? You know, like picked up the trades anytime in the last you know five ten years and uh, and read them. A little bit, I or, Okay. Uh, I was just wondering if it's like a nostalgia thing or if you actually picked it up and are like, hey, this is this is just as good as I remember. Or if you picked it up and like, wow, some things are left in the, best left in the past. And it was exactly like that. I, I say it's it was a huge part of my childhood, but it really wasn't that great of a story or, or that, <laughs> that great of comic books. Uh, uh, very dated stuff, very dated art, for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, costume designs and things like that. Where, uh, Big hair. Big hair. Uh, he came back with the mullet. Oh, gosh. Super mullet. <laughs> the Eradicator. I loved his costume as a kid. Now I look at it and I go, what is what's wrong with me? <laughs> but I'm the same kid who liked uh, Scarlet Spider with the hoodie. So. <laughs> oh, nice. I, I will say this about the uh, Star uh, – again, I, I want to do it again, Star Trek. Uh, Superman Doomsday uh, animated film. Uh, the best thing about that film, and I don't know if you ever got around to watch it before you hurled the DVD in disgust, um, but there's a really good um, documentary on that DVD about the creation of the comic books. And they interview a lot of the writers and a lot of the artists. They show some actual video footage taken at the time in the writer's room. They used to do this huge Superman conference where they would get the writers of all the various Superman family books together for a weekend, and they would map out what they were going to do for the next year. Uh, Crap. And it would be and, like continuity. What? <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. 
And it's uh, a, it was just a wonderful. The documentary was so much better than the film that the documentary came as a bonus feature of. I was like, forget this, you know. Like I said, I didn't hate the film, but it was an eh, you know, yeah. eh. You know, it's a Superman movie. I'll watch it. But the documentary that was the bonus on the DVD uh, was excellent. Really, really good um, because you very rarely get an inside look. At, at the making of, you know, at the comic book industry. I mean, the most you usually get is stuff you've, you know, interviews at conventions and people, things like this. Right. But this is sort of the inner working, sort of like what it's like at the, oh, at that, I, I think at that time they were at a different building, but at the building that DC was housed in, sort of the conference rooms, uh, interviews with writers, editors. Um, it was a, it was really, edu- if nothing else, it was educational about how a comic book story comes into being. Well, that sounds like fun. Um, and the, some of the other documentaries that have come with the DC animated movies have been great. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no, I don't think I watched that, and I'm sorry I didn't. No, I'm sure, much like the Black Bag issue 75, I'm sure you can find a copy of Superman <laughs> for like a couple bucks at a Walmart bin. Right. Speaking of Walmart. Walmart. Yeah, speaking of that might be a pretty good segue because I couldn't walk into a Walmart for about six months without seeing a life-size prop of Henry Cavill in costume. Walmart got uh, behind this movie really big. Oh, yeah, which was okay for me. I mean, it made a lot of really cool Superman merchandise. I got a poster and a lanyard and all kinds of crazy Superman stuff. I actually have a very funny memory. I was at my uh, Walmart in town where I live. Uh, about a couple weekends after the movie came out, and I'm standing back, and the, the the setup, the display was back in the electronics section. Um, so I was back in the ele- electronics section. I think I was looking for the headphones for work or something like that. And I look over, and I'm from the angle. I, I see the the big Superman display where they have the posters and the the the, the big two foot action figure. Uh, dolls and all that. And I see this uh, little boy, about six, seven years old, maybe a little older. I'm not good with kids' ages, but, you know, less than 18. Um, probably about eight. And he's uh, standing there. He's got a big smile on his face. I'm like, oh, that's nice. It's the future, future Superman. And as I'm walking closer, I see that he's actually looking at this thing that's an end cap attached to it. And it's these two, like, loopsy, loopsy dolls. <laughs> And I'm sitting there thinking, you got a whole bunch of Superman toys sitting right next to you, kid. And you're looking at the loopsy loopsy dolls. Some parent is not doing their job. Exactly. That's my kids wouldn't even look at that. That's. (laughs) I'm like, granted, it's not even the real Superman, but still, it's Superman. (laughs) Exactly. My my kids are such big Superman fans. It's it's funny. The uh, there was a gentleman who cosplayed that Superman as Superman. uh, I saw the photos. Yeah. Yeah. And normally. Our youngest uh, is really shy, especially around men. But uh, we asked if we could get a picture with him, and she walked right up to him, shook his hand, spoke to him. He picked Aww. her up, and I waited for the scream, and it never came because it's Superman, <laughs> and she knows him, right? Ah. <laughs> so she was totally cool with it, really, really kind of uh, Star Trek to, to meet Superman. So it was a very great experience. But uh, yeah, my kids would have gone straight for the Superman. All I can say is thank God that was before she saw Man of Steel. <laughs> then she would have been like, Daddy, the building is going to collapse. Let's get out of here. <laughs> that is so true. This movie. Uh... 
Shall we get into the evisceration now? Or Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> warning, we are going to completely spoiler this movie. However, uh, it's out on DVD, so you should have seen it already. Oh, yes. I, I have now seen the film three times. I, I saw it opening weekend um with uh, a couple of friends one of whom recently passed actually so it's a it's a nice little nice little memory um i saw it uh, with the same friends actually a couple months later at the uh, two dollar theater they don't have dollar theaters anymore now they have two dollars <laughs> and then uh i saw it um saturday yeah this past saturday uh, i watched it with my uh, with my girlfriend in preparation for this. And before we start, you know, tearing this thing apart, I will say this third viewing was probably uh, my favorite of the bunch. The film does improve with additional viewing. So I may not be as brutal as I intended to be when we discussed this last week, uh, because there are some, some, there's, well, there's a lot about this film that I did like, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh it's an interesting film, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your opinions. I have not talked to you about this. I found out you watched it, and I was like, don't tell me. Save it for, save it for the podcast. Exactly. I, too, watched it on Saturday. It was the first viewing. Uh, I watched it with my kids. There are things about this movie that I loved, and there are <laughs> things about this movie I hated. And there were things – because, I mean, obviously everybody else in the world but me had seen it at this point. And I would read different reviews and stuff about it. There were things about it that – weren't quite as bad as people said they were. And then there were other things that were either just as bad or even worse. <laughs> <than being, laughs> like, uh, cause there were scenes that started off with, where I was like, okay, well that wasn't as bad as people. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> they went there. <laughs> so I, I made notes while I was watching this. I made, I jotted down little thoughts and, and notes to, so that we could go back on this. I want to read you some of the random things that came across my mind while I was okay. watching this movie. Um, Jarrell, way cooler than Odin. <laughs> I could not help but compare this movie to Thor because I just saw that the week before. And mm-hmm. so I could not help but compare this movie to Thor. And so Jarrell, way cooler than Odin. I I have to say this is one of the th- things that I loved about the film is I, I love the performance of Jarrell. I mean, yeah. if for no other reason than Russell Crowe is far more uh, uh, alive than Marlon Brando was uh-huh. when he did that. Marlon Brando sort of walked through his scenes. Um, I think if hel- holographic technology had existed at the time, they would have just used a holograph <laughs> of him. Uh, Russell Crowe was wonderful. I actually loved the entire Kryptonian uh, sequence. Oh, I yeah. love the look of it. I thought it was a great way to start the film. Um, I have no complaints about anything in in that that sequence. There were some things that 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 bothered me a little bit that I think they did just because they could, like the flying dragon. The flying dragon. I, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that was totally unnecessary. Uh, <laughs> But it was pretty cool looking. It was a great look at it. The kids loved it. And when Zack Snyder is directing, what's pretty cool looking is important. <laughs> He's made entire films based on it's pretty cool looking. Let's do it. Uh, Lois Lane is way cooler than Jane Foster. <sighs> well, come on. I could have painted way cooler than Jane Foster. But she's still not cooler than Sif. <laughs> no, I, I agree right there. Uh, Jonathan Kent is kind of a douche. 
Uh, not kind of. He is. And I think he Martha wanted a school bus full of children to die. Die! I could not believe that. I mean, I guess I kind of understand where he's coming from, but to actually say those words, you know, I mean, I understand him wanting to keep his son safe, but to actually say, "Yeah, you should have let the school bus full of kids die." Yeah, let the kids die. Let the drown. You know, it's fine. This is farmland, Kansas. We can make more of it. Exactly. We got lots of buses full of kids. Especially after Jonathan Kent's death, I think Martha Kent was a huge pot smoker. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm going to need more on that. Every time she came on screen, I'm like, she just just hit hit a joint. Just like two (laughs) seconds ago. (laughs) You know, I I had actually – I noticed that. But I had assumed it was maybe Diane Lane was not comfortable with the makeup that they had her under. But I kind of prefer your interpretation, to be honest with you. It's like I got a dick for a husband who wanted my son to let a bunch of kids drown. And then my husband uh, decides to get sucked up by a tornado. For the dog. For a dog. Yeah. You know, and I love dogs, but really, you know, and and he just, yeah, I'm just gonna go smoke some weed now because my life's been a complete waste. Right. Oh, and my son's not even from Earth. <laughs> yeah. But darn it, he looks good in a costume, which was creepy, by the way. It really was. Uh, but even the way. Love your six pack abs, son. <laughs> even the way she delivered lines and and spoke and and moved, I just, I was like, this chick is totally wasted. <laughs> Every time I saw her, I was like, yeah, she's huge pot smoke. Holy crap, Lois Lane and Superman's relationship actually makes sense. Uh, again, comparing it to Jane Foster and Thor, <laughs> I thought this was – it was like, okay, I can see where they built this trust and they kind of fell for each other. I think it was a little quick. You know, They felt mm-hmm. for each other – You know, felt a little more for her than he should have, but I saw the progression there and I liked that. Um. Uh, yes, I did like the relationship between the two of them, but I have to ask you because, as a longtime Superman fan, this bothered me. Um, they sort of just did away with the whole triangle. There's no Clark Kent, her not knowing, you know, her being in love with Superman, but not Clark Kent. Clark Kent being in love with her. That sort of, they, they just that's gone. I mean, they from like minute one, she knows Superman and Clark Kent are the same person. Yes, but uh, I, I had this in mind uh, okay. because you'd mentioned this before. But they also, I'd like to point out, took away the most oblivious woman on the planet <laughs> by making her know that he's Superman. They kind of took away the most annoying thing about Lois Lane. Well, that's true. That, that's true. I mean, and it's funny because if you read the comics, they go to tremendous lengths to try to explain. This. I, I, again, I, I recently picked up the uh, Man of Steel, John Byrne Man of Steel relaunch from 86, 85 or 86. And they even have a line where he's talking about how when he's a, as Superman flying around, he's going to vibrate his face <laughs> so quickly that a camera can't get a clear picture of him. <laughs> he's perfectly clear on the panels, of course. Right. So yeah, I I understand it's it's a tough sell that you know uh, a slick back hair and a pair of glasses and you sort of can't right tell who he is. I also think they made Lois Lane a little uh, harder in, in this interpretation of it. Um, she talked about uh, 
I think there was a line that, that said that she was in Iraq. Yeah, she was embedded with uh, one of the armored divisions, and she made a line about how she she gets writer's block if she's not wearing a flak jacket. Right, uh, and just a little more. I don't know. Well, while she's always been very independent, she's also come across the helpless woman so many times for Superman. That's very true. And at this, she true. wasn't. Uh, I mean, at all. <laughs> uh, in fact, I I, I kind of feel like if it wasn't for Jor El and Lois in this movie. I don't think Superman would have won. No, he wouldn't have. I, I will agree with that. He was kind of a doof the whole movie. He was just kind of – had no idea what he was doing. And if it wasn't for Jor-El and Lois, it would have been a really short movie. Yeah. Um, let's see. Two points. Jor-El. Uh, I'm, I'm completely split on their handling of Jor-El in the sense of having him come back as the hologram or what have you. Um, I'm split because I think that it completely undercut the Jonathan Kent character by giving a lot of that material over to Jor-El. Yeah. Jor-El suddenly became the parent who was pushing him to, you know, do all the things that he can do and help people. Uh, and that bothered me. Yes. But at the same time, Russell Crowe is just so awesome in the role that I wanted to see more of him. Yeah. And, and I, so, I think that they made the Jor-El character better and then the Jonathan Kent character crap. Yeah. Oh, they, they completely ruined that character. I mean, I've mentioned to you, I've mentioned to a few friends that uh, Superman is Superman, not because he comes from Krypton, but because he was raised by John, by Pa and Ma Kent. Exactly. That if he'd been born on Earth, he would be a firefighter or a police officer. Uh, his parents raised him with the belief that he has to go out and do and, and help people, that that's his job. His job is to help people. Uh, it just so happens that he was born on Krypton and he has abilities that allow him to do more than most people. But he doesn't do the things that he does because he's from Krypton. He does the things that he does because he was raised by those two parents by, by uh, on, on that farm, by the Kents. Uh, they completely toss that aside. Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right. And this Superman, had he been born on Earth, wouldn't have been a firefighter or something. He, this is totally different. No, he would have been some emo bum, right? Basically. You know, I mean, it's just, it's uh, he would have been smoking pot with his ma. Apparently. <laughs> exactly. Listening to Pearl Jam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and what was the other thing? Uh, oh yeah, I do like Lois Lane. Um, I mean, I really enjoyed the casting on this film. Yeah. Uh, I like pretty much everybody. Um, but yeah, I, I like Amy Adams. I thought, I, I mean, I just like Amy Adams. She's a great actress. Yeah. Um, and I, I enjoyed Lois Lane. I, I liked her toughness. I liked her personality. I did have questions about where she got her magical transporter for the last 20 minutes of the movie that allowed her to constantly pop up wherever the action yeah. was. Cause she just sort of always appeared. Um, but I can forgive that. I mean, I, I, I definitely, Lois Lane was definitely one, uh, a plus in this film. Yes. My, my, my one issue with uh, the way they used her was putting her on the ship made no sense yeah. to me. Uh, which one? When uh, the, the Kryptonian ship or the actual, uh, the, the big bomber at the end? Uh, the actual ship where suddenly the chick there is like, and we want Lois Lane. Right. And that was totally just to get her on the, the ship. There was no yeah, reason they, for her to be there. They didn't do anything with her. They didn't. It's not like they were interrogating her or doing anything. They just threw her in a room, and that then she escaped. Right. 
there was nothing there. It was just a it was just a plot point. Exactly. It, yeah, it makes you want to go to Zod and go, "What the hell were you gonna do?" I mean, yeah. But you... then again, what was she doing on a military aircraft? That's true. At the end as well. So again, just to move her around, just to, to keep her keep her going there. Well, you know the the military aircraft. I might be able to explain as uh, uh, Superman. Let me gather my thoughts here. When he demanded that they release her, they had her uh, uh, interview him there on the compound and everything. And then, yeah, and then she got to be there on the other side of the barriers and talk to him right before Zod came down. Uh, obviously gave her a little more say-so and power with everybody. So she may just bullied her way onto that plane. Yeah. I guess it's like, okay, guys, I know it's a military aircraft, but this is Superman's girlfriend, so we right. are going to let her on the aircraft during the bombing raid. During the suicidal bombing raid, we're going to let her on board because she's Superman's girlfriend. Exactly. Uh, one of the things that that I really bothered me about the movie was... Oh, now we're getting to the good stuff. <laughs> let the hate flow through you. Because Come to the dark side that I've been living in since May. <laughs> Superman gets his powers from the sun. Yes. Right? Yeah. The rays of the sun are what give him his powers. Yeah, they had that nice little moment after he fights the mechanical spider. Nice shout out to John Peters. Uh, at the end on the, on the Indian Ocean, uh, where he's just sort of lying there and he reaches out and you see the sun rays come up and he reaches his hand out toward it. They have a nice little shot of that. Yes. Uh, but they, like, they kind of screwed that up when they put him on the Kryptonian ship, and now his powers are linked to the Earth's atmosphere. He, he that's out of the true. Earth's atmosphere, he gets into the Kryptonian atmosphere, and suddenly his powers don't work again. That's true, actually. And if that's the way that worked, how the hell did he fly out of the ship and go to through space? I mean, he's always been able to fly into space because... His powers work on the sun. As long as he's in the sun, he's good. I had assumed that by changing the atmosphere, they meant uh, not a breathable atmosphere as much as uh, as much as light radiation going from the sort of the yellow solar radiation that illuminate that we're used to to sort of the type of red sun illumination. That's our solar radiation. I'm not a scientist, so I'm not sure how that works. But I had always thought it was more about the uh, – by atmosphere, they meant more like the uh, the solar rays that they were projecting. Um, but again, I'm not sure how you would project red solar rays inside a spaceship. Right. But I, I had assumed it was something along those lines, not just sort of like carbon monoxide or whatever they, whatever it was breathing. Right. Though they did seem to elude that when he suddenly started having difficulty breathing and coughing up blood and such. Right, right. And so how would Superman fly through space like he does? I mean – if it's the atmosphere that his powers are linked to, and if that affects him that great, how is he flying through space? I just uh, was an issue for me. Okay, yeah, I had not thought about that, but you're right. Yet another Zod ship-related plot hole. Yes, you know, they brought in in Lois Lane when they brought her on board. Uh, they they could have worked around that so many other ways. I mean, they could have introduced Kryptonite that way and and explained it as. Because he was uh, – the radiation from our sun makes him allergic, say, to kryptonite. Yeah. And so that's why Zod could use it. He couldn't because Zod hadn't been in the, the radiation for as long. Mm-hmm. I think they could have explained that a little better instead of, oh, no, you're in a different atmosphere, so now you can't use your powers. I thought that was really lame and just a cop-out. Bad mm-hmm. storytelling. Um, 
I felt like the Zod Jorel relationship could have been better. Uh, they just kind of I, I felt they they could have made them closer, and it would have driven that betrayal home a little more. You know, when they first yeah. end up in the same room, Jorel is is they're more uh, acquaintances. They know each other. They're you know uh, maybe work together kind of relationship. But if they made them closer and, and more. Uh, familiar, more like a brother type relationship that it would have really driven that home and it would have hurt a lot more. That's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, obviously, they were limited on time at the beginning of the film. I mean, I'm amazed they gave the Kryptonian sequence as much time as they did, That's to be true. honest with you. And I'm, and I'm glad they did because yeah. I enjoyed the sequence. Uh, I, at times, I sit there and I think, wow, that's that was gutsy to give like almost 10 to 15 minutes of the opening of the movie over to Krypton. Right. Um, but yeah, it, the Zod and uh, Jarrell relationship kind of isn't developed, and that's a, that's a moment where they could have went with the cliche, and it would have worked of having them be brothers. Because yeah. immediately you don't have to spend time on exposition, you don't have to spend time developing the relationship. You just say they're brothers, and boom, there's uh, there's a there's an understanding there between, yeah. for the audience that there's a relationship. Because it did seem that Zod was genuinely pained by what he did by killing Jorel. And we don't really understand that. Yeah. Um, it's odd that the most that we get from uh, the, the biggest way that we understand the depth of the relationship comes from his mourning of Jorel and, you know, some of the conversations they have when he talks to him, finally the, the hologram version of him later. Right. Um, but yeah, there there should have been – even though people would say it was a cliche, it's a cliche that would have been used in a good way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To have them be brothers. Oh, a couple of uh, uh, Superman quotes that that really struck me. Um, during the fight with Zod, he says, uh, Krypton had its chance. And I thought that was just such a callous and cruel <laughs> thing to come out of Superman's mouth, even though, okay, he's not going to let – Zod killed the Earth to remake Krypton, but to yeah. say Krypton had its chance, it's over. Live with it. <laughs> well, you have to remember. <laughs> you have to remember. I I really think that the screenwriters went through and said we cannot possibly have even one line of dialogue in which Superman says he wants to help the human race. So instead, he's going to condemn the Krypton exactly. rather than saying you can't hurt these people; they're innocent. Uh, no, he's got to do that. So yeah, I mean, it's it's callous, but again, it sort of fits in with this concept of a Superman who doesn't save anybody. And, which is another point I want to make. He didn't save anybody. Okay, that's not true. One guy fell oh. from a helicopter. He caught him. Yeah, he he saved the kid. He he saved a busload of kids and got yelled at yelled at for it. So of course he's not going to save anyone. Right, that. and so they spend the rest of the movie showing normal everyday people saving other people. Yes. Perry White was more of a hero during this movie than Superman was. But but remember, he needs to inspire us. Right. He needs to inspire Even us. Even though it seems like the people down there are more of a hero than than he is. Right. He's not very heroic. He's not. And, I mean, okay, we're going to go ahead and dive bomb right into the so much damage. I mean – Yeah, let's get to the video game section of the, of the movie, shall we? At first – I was I I understood because when it really first kicked in was when uh, they were beating up on his mom and he comes mm -hmm. flying in he slams into Zod he, he 
throws him through a gas station. The gas station blows up, and and I'm like, okay, they were messing with his mom. He overreacted, right? He's angry. He's in. So I understand that not paying attention to the fact you just drove this guy through a gas station and exploded. There were cars and people there. People in there, yeah. <laughs> so I could overlook. So that was the part that I went, you know, that's not so bad. But then he started throwing him into trains and crashing through buildings. And uh, for a second, it stopped being his fault. And Zod was, was doing it. But then they switched back and Superman was doing it. And so I was like, there's people in those buildings. There's th- These are things Superman wouldn't do. It, it's funny. When I watched the film again on Saturday, um, that sequence was – actually, I remember turning and looking at my girlfriend and saying, okay – I kind of can forgive this sequence because there's a couple of moments where he seems like he's legitimately trying to get the fight away from town and he keeps getting kind of pulled back in. I mean, there's that great shot of him trying to fly away and they literally grab him and throw him oh. back on the ground. Yeah. Where he's going to hover to the air for a second. That was great. Yeah. I mean, it's a great little, it's a great little image. Um, but I also realized the only time in this movie Buildings collapsing, people dying. The only time in this entire movie when Superman tells people to get out of the way is in that moment when somebody's running across the street in front of him. And basically he says, you know, get inside. It's not safe. But he deli- he growls it. He's like, get inside. It's not safe. Right. It's like the only line of dialogue he actually has to show compassion toward people. He barks it. Right. It was kind of, it was kind of awkward. It was almost like an afterthought for him because I mean the guy runs like, Oh yeah, there's people here, better tell him to get outside. Right. <laughs> and so I kind of felt like it, there should have been a moment of who's the bad guy here. You yeah. know? Um they're both kind of equally tearing shit up at that point. <laughs> I would kind of love Batman versus Superman, the opening scene to be the president of the United States calling Batman saying, There's this dude, he just leveled <laughs> Metropolis, you've got to go take him out. <laughs> And that's what the movie is. Batman has to stop the menace that is Superman after he destroyed an entire city. Well, that would be great. Uh, towards the end of the movie, they didn't act like it was his fault at all. I mean, he took yeah. that entire building, and everybody's like, it's cool, it's Superman. <laughs> it just, yeah, I just, that entire last sequence, I mean, and okay, we'll get, we'll eventually get to, to the very last sequence. But as the buildings are collapsing and things are falling, my biggest problem was the lack of concern that Superman showed for anybody other than himself. Right. He was caught up in a rage and was just – it was just Zod. He didn't care that buildings were collapsing, that people were dying. You know, I take it back. He did save – he saved those um, those uh, oil drill – oil well people. Oh, at, right, yeah, yeah. And the reason I remember that and why that just came into mind is at no point, you know, he's, the the oil well was collapsing and he had to hold it up for the helicopter to fly off. At no point did Superman try and hold up a building. At right. no point did Superman try and do anything to – he didn't even try to get the fight out of Metropolis. Exactly. Which would be the most Superman thing to do would be to – like – Take some damage. Turn your back. Be willing to get some some hits put on you in order to sort of get this fight away from the innocent bystanders. Exactly. Instead, he's throwing Zod through buildings. He's pushing Zod's face up against the side of a building, crashing windows, sending glass flying to the ground where I'm sure it butchered you know dozens of people. Right. Glass falling 30, 40 flights or uh, floors down to the down to the ground. He doesn't he doesn't care. 
he doesn't he doesn't show one line there's not one line of dialogue there's not and all i kept thinking of and i know we're trying to get away from it because of the superman returns bombing so we're trying to get away from the dick donner universe christopher reeve superman would not have done that right I mean, Christopher Reeve Superman would have been like, you know, Zod, the people, we have to get out, you know, don't do this, you know, that sort of thing. Right. And we don't get that till the very end. So Superman doesn't give a damn about you dying unless you're actually right in front of him. Then he cares. And maybe this but, could change a little bit with with the upcoming movies. Is you know, maybe we're just seeing a younger Superman who, I mean, he's just now really using his powers. So. Yeah, I, I mean, it's to learn that, you know, uh, with great power comes great responsibility kind of thing. I think I wouldn't have the problem if they didn't have that scene at the beginning with the oil rig, right? Where he put his life at risk in order to allow that helicopter to that's, to that's true. Get out. That's kind of uh, inconsistent there. You're right. And then suddenly here he is, and he's not even trying. Yeah, I, it's almost as if. And I do. I completely blame the filmmakers on this. It's as if they got so caught up in what they could do with the budget they were given that it became like they were playing a video game. Yeah. And they weren't caring about the fact that, hey, there's people in these buildings that are coming right. down. Oh, and, and that's the other thing. When did 9-11 imagery suddenly become fun entertainment? Right. That really bothered me with the constant shots of buildings collapsing inward and falling down onto the street and the and the clouds flying through and covering everybody with dust. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe for the 13-year-olds who are going to see this film, that just seems like a cool special effect. But for most of us, that image has a completely different meaning to us. Right. You, you can't help but make that connection, which I find interesting that uh, there's not more – Issues with that. I mean, right after nine eleven, there was all kinds of stuff that people were uh, boycotting and, and saying you couldn't do that because it was too reminiscent mm-hmm. of nine eleven. But at the same time, saying that, uh, I'm thinking of a specific uh, instance. People were kind of picky and choosy over what they considered kosher and not. Uh, yeah. What what I refer to is uh, uh, right after that. One of my favorite bands at the time, Disturbed, did a music video that was uh, uh, originally the idea was supposed to be like a, a story of Job kind of thing where uh, mm-hmm. all of the band, these terrible things happened to them, they had car wrecks and, and stuff, and uh, the city's about to collapse on them, and they still get up and play their music, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the buildings collapsing really upset people, and yeah. they uh, asked the MTV to remove the video. And they did, and uh, I understood that to a degree. Mm-hmm. But what upset me was at the same time, Eminem came out with a video where he danced around as Osama bin Laden. I remember that. That was okay. They aired that, but Disturbs. That what was? That, I mean, it wasn't a, even a direct. You know, they didn't say this is about nine eleven. Uh, mm-hmm. That wasn't okay, but. This direct 9-11 reference and him dressing dressing up as Osama bin Laden, that was kosher. Yeah. And that really bothered me. So people have a, a double standard for some of this stuff that some things are okay and some things aren't. I just felt the the level of violence <clears throat> and, the, and the disregard for human for – the, for the casualties Yes, was jaw-dropping yeah. to me. Um, 
and the fact that uh, Superman just didn't seem to care. Yeah. He seemed oblivious to it. And it's inconsistent with what we saw beforehand where he did rescue people and risk his life to rescue people. And again and again, I hate the, you know, I'm a DC guy, so I hate to compare to Marvel, but compare this, it's basically the same, essentially the same scene, aliens attacking a big city. Look at the Avengers. They did it right. How many intercuts did you see of Captain America helping people out of buildings? And, right. uh, you know, they continued the fight and yet turned away from when they got a bare moment of reprieve to try and get people out of there. They managed to do the fight plus try and save people. They didn't do that at all in Man of Steel. Yeah. As a, as a, as a, at the end of Avengers, they even talked about uh, who was going to pay for all the damage, and, and they uh, addressed the fact that even though the Avengers were saving people, they caused a lot of damage, and this is an exactly. issue. This is a problem. And then at the end of Man of Steel, everybody's like, it's cool. We'll just rebuild Superman. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, – it just really – kept me from loving the movie because there were some huge inconsistencies with it. Um, any other version of Superman, especially the uh, in film and TV, Superman would have got his ass kicked to keep people from getting hurt. Exactly. He would have turned his back and taken hits right. in order to help people. And that would have been great dramatic moments where he's actually putting himself in danger yeah. in order to help people because that's more important to him. You know, you could have uh, – if the director and the writers and producers had actually cared, you could have had tremendous moments. But when you think about it – and this just 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 came into my head. Um, and so I, I, I may be completely wrong. It literally just popped into my head. Chris Nolan uh, executive produced this film. Uh-huh. I uh, did the Batman films. I'm sitting here trying to think of the Batman. Do you really see Batman or in this new one, Superman kind of interacting with helping people or fighting their own personal vendettas? Cause I'm trying to think back to the Batman films. And again, Batman is rescuing people, but Batman doesn't rescue people the way Superman does. I mean, that's just a difference between the two characters. Um, Batman always has more of a war on crime going on, right. uh, trying to avenge his parents. But I'm sitting here thinking, it just—it's like these new DC films are more vengeance-oriented, for lack of a better term. You don't see people just helping. Right. Hero, you don't see heroes doing heroic things, which is kind of worrisome for the future movies, and even more so for a uh, Wonder Woman movie. I mean, oh yeah, how dark would that be? I just want to see some. I just want to see Superman being being heroic. I don't want to see Superman throwing people through buildings. I want to see Superman rescuing people from buildings. And like I said, maybe uh, we're just seeing a younger Superman who isn't uh, responsible yet. Maybe in the Batman versus Superman, he can we will see that transition where he has to deal with the consequences of what happened. And I would love that. Like I said, I'd love almost to see Batman being sort of like. Dude, you killed at least tens of thousands of people, and I don't trust you, and have that be the Batman versus Superman. My problem is that everything I've read, and after this movie came out, I because I was one of – and we'll have to get to Zod's death eventually in a second. Oh, yeah. That was the big thing everyone was talking about. I was more concerned with 
just the whole thing at the end where he's not trying to save anybody. And so I was paying a lot of attention to uh, David Goyer, the writer, the interviews he gave, some of the interviews Zack Snyder gave, and neither of them, they would talk constantly about the decision they made involving Zod's death. But on the handful of occasions when people mentioned the level of violence at the end, um, the responses were essentially, yeah, cool, wasn't it? Uh, they didn't seem to really get that complaint. It was more like, well, we wanted it to be really epic. We wanted it to be really big. We wanted to, you know, like, like freaking, um, uh, a spinal tap. They wanted to turn it to 11. I mean, that's like the response that they got. It was like a frat boy response. They got really serious when talking about the motivations behind Zod's death. But when it came to the, just the, the huge amounts of violence, uh, it was like a, yeah, it looked cool. Didn't it? That sort of a response which makes me think there's not going to be a follow-up on it because at the very end of the movie there was no follow-up on it everybody loves superman he's great gosh isn't he wonderful he's going to save everybody Um, as you said unlike the avengers where they flat out say have that a debate going on about who's going to pay for this are they responsible they did a lot of this damage i think it's just going to be you know uh, brushed under the carpet and that that kind of bothers me oh yeah Uh, way more than what happened to sod and I, I really want to talk about what happened to Zod because I've, I've got a, a take on that. But the the level of damage and just the carelessness of Superman just really, really kept me from loving the movie. And I would love to see – it would almost be forgiven – I could almost forgive it if in the second film they dealt with it. Yeah. Because you can go with the whole – I would love to see – okay, I was joking about you know the president ordering Batman to kill Superman. What I would love to see is something in the second film, and I don't think it's going to happen because this film's getting more and more crowded with everything we're hearing, but I would love to see a second film that is about his penance. Yeah. And out of that comes his deep love for Metropolis. And we see why he is so connected to Metropolis. We know why Batman's connected to Gotham. It's where he's from. It's where his parents were murdered. We've never really seen why Superman is so connected to Metropolis, why he loves Metropolis the way he does. I mean, what, the Daily Planet? Lois Lane? She's traveling around all the time. Why Metropolis? Something like this, a second film that dealt with his penance, with his guilt – over what happened with his inability to save lives, with him being so irrational and caught up in his own rage at Zod that he let tens of thousands of people have died. And out of that arc, out of that story of that movie comes why he is so connected to that city and why he loves that city. That could have been a great second film, but I just, I don't see it happening. And therefore I'm having a hard time thinking that they're actually going to deal with the repercussions of the last 30 minutes of the first film. Yes. I I would love to see him deal with the consequences. I think that would be a a great, brilliant way, like you said, to connect him to the city, um, Mm -hmm. for him to, to feel that guilt so that the Superman that we get, that's more like what we want. And the guy who, who's always thinking about how to save people and taking the fights away and, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, letting people hurt him in order to save other people. That guy comes from a from him feeling guilty and, and trying to uh, kind of maybe overcompensate a little bit for what he done. And think about it. There's your angst. 
That's the big thing that they're always saying that has held people back from Superman. It's like, where's his darkness? Right. Where's his angst? Well, it's right there. If you want to pick it up, if you want to do a second film that's about that, there's your darkness and there's your angst. And it comes out of something that could eventually lead to good. But I honestly, I just don't – I've seen Zack Snyder's movies. I just don't think he's that smart. I don't think he's that emotionally deep. I think he makes really pretty images. But I just – and David Goyer, come on. I'm, uh, he really – what? He had a co-writing credit on the first Batman movie? Yeah. After that, it was all Chris, Chris Nolan and his brother. I, I just – I – think that they could the ending could be redeemed and actually turned into a positive if they went in that direction with the second film and then they would even have their angst dark character that they want to turn him into because you know everybody can't have superman be happy you know you can't have any joy in a superman story anymore for god's sake but I just it's it's going to be justice league it's going to be batman and nightwing and maybe wonder woman and Unless they're all going to come together and just beat the crap out and beat some sense into them. Uh, I just don't see that happening. I think it's just video game. I think it was just a video game situation. I think you're <clears> – <throat> unfortunately, well, I think we're coming up with some brilliant ideas on how to fix this Superman movie. I, I don't think we're going to see what we're wanting from him. And I'm going to go ahead and talk about the end scene with Zod a little bit because mm-hmm. I, I, the reason I don't think we're going to see that is because he was so careless and so – uh, caught up in his own stuff that he let all of these people die mm-hmm. but he was so tore up when he killed Zod yeah and again I think that that seems like a selfish thing for, for Superman because it wasn't uh, yes he, he did it to save people but he didn't care about all those other people he just killed yeah and and that's that's very important he killed right you know, that's something people are forgetting about. They're like, it's not just collateral damage. I mean, he killed people. Yeah. And, but I think he felt tore up over Zod because he was a Kryptonian and that, that was his race and that was his people. And it was his last, uh, he was cutting his, the last cord to who he was. Right. And Superman always loved humanity and, and Earth, maybe even more than Krypton and Kryptonians, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he would have never let a Kryptonian hurt people the way that, he, that he, he let Zod hurt people. He hurt people. And so for him to – because people kept saying, well, well that was – this was the scene that I, did, I felt wasn't as bad as what people made it out to be because mm-hmm. people I said he, he killed. Superman doesn't kill. This was terrible. Was, uh, you know, I can't believe they did this because Superman doesn't kill. And you're right, he doesn't. But he felt so terrible about it, and he tried so hard to keep it from happening. Mm-hmm. And he fell apart afterwards. Mm-hmm. That I feel like, how else would you have handled that? Because he didn't have a fortress of solitude with all of his gadgets. There wasn't, you know, the Phantom Zone he could pull him back into at that point. You know, how else would that have played out? Zod was going to kill people no matter what Superman did. And he was going to continue to do it, even if even if he had somehow managed to stop him without killing him. As long as Zod was alive, he was going to be a constant threat. All right. he was going to do was kill people. 
You're just going to kill human beings. And there was no prison that could hold him. I mean, Batman's thing, the reason he doesn't kill the Joker is because he can lock him up. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a reasonable, rational thing. Not killing him, locking him up, it'll stop him. But you can't do that with Zod. He didn't have that option anymore. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they did a really good job of putting Superman in a place where he was forced to kill. He was out of options. And that was believable for me, especially the, the emotion that he had there killing him. I believe that was that was Superman being forced to kill somebody because he hated it. He obviously hated himself for it. You know, the, There was just so much guilt and, and anguish there after he had to do it that I didn't have that big of a problem with him killing Zod. I, I didn't either. Um, when the film came out and everybody was criticizing it, I remember my response was uh, the, the previous 30 minutes. That's what was the problem. Right. You know, exactly. it, wasn't, it wasn't this. I mean, this was actually kind of redeeming. You know, he actually was trying to save somebody's life here, which right. is more than he'd been doing in the previous half hour of the movie. <clears throat> so I had no problem with it. And as you said, it was portrayed – uh, really well. I mean, it was done well. You show he was trying to find any other possible way out of it, um, and in the end, he did what he had to do in order to save the lives of yeah, of a family. That's Superman, right? Uh, the previous thirty minutes, like you said, he kills so many people. It makes you mm-hmm. look at that moment, and it makes you look at the oil rig moment at the beginning of the movie, and go, why? Yeah, what? And again, I keep thinking it's just a situation of they had so much money and they wanted to do something epic that they became like they were playing a video game. And they themselves, the filmmakers, lost track of the humanity involved. Right. They they almost f- forgot about it. It became like big game of Tinker Toys. Right. You know, they're just trying to knock things down. Uh, it was just a, a a big mistake of the filmmakers. I wanted to touch on one thing that you mentioned there about um, him killing the last Kryptonian. And I think that is a fundamental misunderstanding of the character that the filmmakers have. The big thing that they wanted to do with this, we kept hearing, is they wanted to make it like Batman. Batman is alone. That was sort of what they were trying to play up with him killing Zod. He is now alone. He's the last Kryptonian. That's a fundamental misunderstanding of Superman. Superman is the last son of a dying race. but his ado- he's an adopted member of humanity. Right. He has an entirely new family of billions of people. He's not alone. That's sort of the point. That's the optimistic ending. And I think they don't understand that, the, the people who made the film. They were trying to Batman the film, trying to Batman the character, Dark Knight it, so to speak. Right. And – it's just – it's one of the things that he's, – he's so not connected with people, which does not make sense to Superman. Superman is a man of the people. Right. He, whether he's Superman, you know, the, 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 the big blue Boy Scout who's always flying above, waving at kids and all that, or whether he's Clark Kent, a, a activist reporter trying to reveal the needs of people through the columns that he writes. He's always amongst the people. He didn't – they're trying to push the stranger in a strange land thing a little too much in this film, him being isolated. I don't think that's necessary though. No, no. 
You don't need to Batman the film. Uh-uh. Heck, that what what you and I just spitballed about 20, 25 minutes ago about how to do a, a proper sequel is a better way of adding pathos and humanity and a little right. bit of darkness to the character than anything they came up with. I will say some some other small things that I liked about the movie was I totally <laughs> forgot about the Christopher Reeves quote unquote cameo scene. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I remember seeing that when the movie came out. There was the video was all over the internet and I thought it was so cool and I totally forgot about it. So when it got to that scene and I saw it, I was like, Oh yeah, that is awesome. That is that was a great moment. Kinda makes me wish I hadn't seen it before. Yeah. It was when I saw that uh opening weekend, uh when it got to that scene, I didn't notice it directly, but I remember thinking looks like Christopher Reeve in that scene. Yeah. You know, I just thought it was like an appearance thing. And then when I came back uh, to the house and I saw the video online, I was like, oh, that is, that's very cool. Yeah, it was very cool. Uh, one of the other uh, things that uh, he has a line that at first made me laugh. And then we go, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> well, him and Lois kiss. And she says, you know, they say that it's always oh. downhill from the first kiss. And he says, I'm pretty sure that it only counts if you're kissing a human. And I went, ha, ha, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> did Superman just diss us? Yeah, of course he did. He's like a vengeful god bringing down buildings and insulting us for our humanity. You know, just like Superman. Right. Uh, it was just, I couldn't believe that uh, they put that in there. And, I mean, it was, it was kind of cute, but at the same time, yeah. you think about it, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> that wasn't very nice. Uh, back, back to Zod. I, I missed the... Uh, Neil line. Yeah, I was I was hoping they would work that in in yeah. some way, even as a throwaway line or something. Right. I just yeah. I mean, even just just a banter while they were fighting, you know. Uh, oh yeah, I would love something as simple as in the opening scene when he comes into the council chamber and he shoots the council woman with the ridiculous hat on. Yeah. And if there had just been like they were pull- they showed them pulling them out of the uh, out of their chairs, pulling the council out of their chairs. Just one little line that you can barely hear of like one of the guards tossing the person towards Zod and saying "Kneel before Zod." Yeah. Just something like that. Just something. It doesn't have to be a thing. Just a nice little nice little thing for the fans to go. Oh yeah, okay. They they put the line in. Right. I, I would have liked to have seen it come from Zod a little more. I, I really I actually enjoyed that actor in the role and, and the. Mm-hmm. That character, I, did, uh, I I enjoyed. It was it was a decent villain. And could could have done without uh, when they were going to the Phantom Zone the the dildos, the space dildos. Did you notice yeah, those? I didn't notice those until later when I saw the uh, honest trailer. I went, "Holy crap! You're right. Those are." They didn't think that all the way through, did they? Yeah, that, that's just one of those things where I'm thinking, uh, "Really? How many people look at this before they okay that design?" And then when they're okaying the design, nobody, none of the computer animators are like, um, "Dude, do you know what we're animating here? Does this look like?" Yeah, I think that's what that looks. Do you want to show the boss this one? No, <laughs> just, just somebody down the line will catch it. Maybe, maybe they pissed off the graphic designers. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we think of your movie, okay? <laughs> right. Giant space dicks. This is what I think of your movie. <laughs> there you go, Zack Snyder. <laughs> I I really okay. As much as I've bitched about the fight scene between Superman and Zod, mm-hmm. especially the last part of the fight scene between Superman and Zod, I liked the way 
Zod fought because Zod's a warrior. This mm-hmm. this is what he does. So to see Superman get his ass kicked for a little while, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was nice. Instead of just letting Superman be, you know, Superman, and even though he has no skill and uh, fighting or anything, you know, he always wins anyway. But here's a guy who's equally as strong as he is, but skilled at fighting. And so it was, I really liked, because I kept thinking, why isn't he getting his ass kicked a little more? I mean, mm-hmm. he's got no experience with this and these guys this is what they do and then they amped it up a little bit and Zod Zod kicked his ass and I was I was happy to see that (laughs) I actually really enjoyed the Kryptonian fighting scenes Um, the first time I saw the film when they were doing sort of the speeding up the film sort of thing I was thinking this is a little unusual Um, but as I watched it again on Saturday I thought it was a really unique way of showing these super powered beings fighting one another with the sort of they're here then they're there they're there they're there and they're sort of jumping from place to place and the camera speeds up real quick to show this almost it almost makes me wonder how they're going to shoot something like the flash to be honest with you yeah um i thought that was a really interesting way to shoot the uh the action sequences and, and you know i actually i thought it was really well done i mean i just wish they'd pulled back a little bit on the metropolis scene again i can even forgive i can sit there and watch the small, the, the the actual Smallville fight, and accept all of it, and say, okay, I can accept that. Um, but the because it was just so well done, right? You know, and I like the little bit at the end where you know the fight's sort of done, and the soldiers are surrounding. I, I think it's the bank or what have you, and Superman comes out, and the general comes over and says, "This man is not our enemy." I mean, there's a nice little moment um, right. there. Just that ending. I mean, you know, as I rewatched the film, I was like, okay, I I like the Kryptonian scenes. I love the way they told, again, origin stories. We mentioned this last week. Origin stories are just boring. Right. And I like the way they managed to tell the origin without telling the origin. Yeah. They they were able to jump around the narrative. I found it kind of amusing because uh, watching it with my kids, uh, my oldest son, it gets to the part where Superman's spaceship is getting close to Earth, and then it cuts to present day. So I'm on the boat. Suddenly, it's uh, suddenly they're out lobstering, and it's um, uh, that it's some cable primetime show, most <laughs> dangerous job, or something like that. Right. Uh, and my son goes, "No, wait, that's not what happens. He has to crash. <laughs> He's next to a, a street, and his farm couple finds him." <laughs> That's awesome. That's also why you don't need to do origin stories. Exactly, and that's why I explained to her. I said, you know what happens. You don't have to see it again. And, but it did make me have to stop and hug him for a second because it's just so nerdy. It's like I, I, I like that, and um, again, I like the casting. I, I keep wanting to like Pa Kent. Because I think Kevin Costner did a very good job. He has a great moment where he does that, you know, you are my son. Yes. Moment and hugs him. Um, he uh, Kevin Costner is the master of the broken sentence, you yeah. know, where he just lets his voice break just a little bit. He did it at the end of Field of Dreams. Uh-huh. Uh, and he's a master at that. Uh, but I and I, I try to like the character. I try to see what he's talking about. I can even kind of get on board with the whole. Well, maybe he wants him to be a Superman, but he wants him to wait until he's ready to be a superhero. But I, 
the dude wanted him to let a bunch of kids in a bus die. You have to put that all on the writer's shoulders because I think uh, Kevin Costner did a great job portraying the character the way he was written. Uh, yeah. But it uh, just didn't make a lot of sense to me. And then to run back for the dog and just give up. And, yeah. I mean, he didn't even try to get away from it. He was just like, no, it's eh, cool. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I remember thinking how, just how retarded that scene was because here's Clark about to try to rush into saving. He holds his hand out and just shakes his head a little bit. He goes, no, it's cool. <laughs> and compare that to again i hate to constantly compare this to the christopher reading to the richard downer version compare that to pa kent's death in the first film where he dies of a heart attack that is such a powerful lesson to superman where he even says clark even says i couldn't save him all my powers and i couldn't save him this superman didn't even try right so it's just uh the the pa kent thing just uh, not a, I have it. Uh, I can't. I can't forget it. Yeah. Um. I'm trying to run through, trying to figure out if there are things that I want to talk about that you hadn't mentioned. What do you think about Jesus Clark? Jesus Clark. There was a lot of Christianity in this film. I can see that. I don't think it was. There was quite as much as as I was led to believe. Lots of people talked about it a lot, and so I expected more than what there was. I think. I think they did a pretty good job. I mean, it's it's inevitable that it's going to be in there. The the story is messianic from the beginning. It was created by two Jewish kids, uh, and there was a lot of uh, messianic aspects. While it was created by two Jewish kids, the majority of the writers who've worked on Superman over the years have been Christian or at the very least raised in Christian homes, and therefore the messianic overtones became more Christian, you know, Christian. Um, so it's there and I think they handled a lot of it. Well, I mean, there's some parts where I was like, oh yes, he's 33. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where he has, where basically he has to hand himself over, you know, and they're marching him down the aisle, you know, with the the handcuffs because he's, he has to surrender himself in order to save humanity, you know? Um, I was like, ah, okay. Uh, the, the moment where he's talking to the priest and he's actually sitting in front of the stained glass window of Jesus. And I, if I remember correctly, I think it's uh, – and I may be wrong about this, but it may actually be uh, from the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is deciding whether or not to sacrifice himself. And that's what Clark is doing at that right. moment. And then – but perhaps the part where I finally was like, oh, Lordy, uh, was uh, with uh, Jor-El telling him, you can save them. You can save them all. Yeah, and Superman floats out in the most awkward fashion I've ever seen Superman float, so that he can form a crucifix, he can form a cross with his arms out, and then he turns around and flies. I've never seen that's like the most awkward. That's that's like doing a belly flop into a pool. Right. It's the most awkward thing you can do to go into space. Is Lear? Let me form a cross and float backwards in slow motion, and then I'll turn and fly. You're right. That was the moment. And it seems so intentional. Yeah. You have to wonder what the discussions about that were like, you know. So that – I mean otherwise I'm enough of a historian of the character to know that, hey, it's always been there. I have no problem with it being there. That I would have maybe had – you know, Henry float a different way. 
Yeah. You know, that's, I, that would have been my direction. Uh, Henry, do, uh, keep your arms down. You know, <laughs> you're going to scratch yourself on those uh, those jagged edges. Right. Um, let's see. Uh, so that was – I didn't really have too much of a problem with that. Um, uh, let's see. What else was there? I'm usually full of much more hate <laughs> when I talk about this film. Was I the only one that was desperately wanting that, that – uh... Other reporter to be Jimmy Olsen. Which one? The real, the thin, uh, sleazy guy who was trying to to get her to go to the basketball game with. Oh him. no, that was um. Oh, what's his name? He's in the comics. Uh, so, Bar, uh. Oh, what's his name? He's the sports editor. Bernard, oh gosh, I can't believe. That. Okay. Guy. Oh jeez, Lombardo. Lombardo, he's a sports editor on the the paper. No, um, you know the girl who got trapped in the uh, in the rubble, uh-huh. Jenny. Yes. At one at one point, you can hear her last name. It's Olson. Okay. Jenny. Olson. Jenny Olson. Okay. Yeah. Well, you so just see that other reporter so much, and, and he was right there next to to Lois for for so many scenes. I just I I really wanted that. Not not necessarily him, but for. Uh, Jimmy to be there for that to to have been his spot. Now they they decided to go with a uh, with a Jenny. Jenny also. Okay, I guess I can live with that. See, I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to remember from the review that I wrote when the film came out. Um, I I remember having some basic issues where I felt there was. Uh, sort of a birth parent versus adoptive parent thing going on where the birth parent was more, was, was more responsible for who Superman became than the adult parent. And again, I was torn on that because I loved Russell Crowe's performance and I wanted to see more of them, but it does basically limit Pa Kent's influence. Right. His- but and that bothered me a little bit, but, why couldn't they both have been supportive of you know and, and, and who he became and you know why why did you have why did you have to have that uh, good guy bad guy kind of feel yeah, the, to his dad good parent versus the bad parent right and what also irritated me was uh, Clark's attitude over the whole thing and yes there were scenes where he was younger and that, that mm-hmm. that's a natural feeling for somebody to have the you're not my dad scene, you know. Yes. But he still seemed to favor the Kryptonians and as soon as he sees Jorel, it's you know, you almost he almost goes, Daddy <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's it's an instant he obviously favors that side over the other. And so and that yeah. really, really bothers me. Well, this goes into a bit of a debate that's always been there for Superman, at least well, at least in the last twenty or thirty years, is who is Superman? Is Superman Kal El or is he Clark Kent? You know, and I personally am of the opinion my preference is that Superman is more of um, he's more Clark Kent. Nature versus nurture, I guess is probably the best way to put it. I think he's more Clark Kent. He's yeah. Clark Kent who happens to have alien powers. Where other people see him as a flat-out alien right. who just happens to be masquerading as Clark Kent. It's like, who is he really? Is he really Superman and Clark Kent is the mask he wear? Or is he really Clark Kent and Superman is the mask 
that he wears. Um, this film flat out, he's, he's Jorah, he's Kal-El. Right. I mean, he's, he's an alien. And again, I think it's, they were trying to go with the whole, he's alone, he's isolated. That's sort of the brooding aspect of it. And it just, it's a miscalculation because Superman is the ultimate American immigrant. Right. And you lose that when you're trying to keep him from being an American immigrant and trying to make him an alien and keep him an alien. Right. Uh, it doesn't allow him to bond with the people who look up to him. You know, you, there's all this talk about how you have to lead them. You have to inspire them. Well, it would help if you walked amongst them every once in a while. Right. You know, uh, to go, if, you, if you're, if you're going to want to push, push the Jesus metaphor, uh, you know, Jesus walked with the, the poor people and he dined with the prostitutes and he walked with the, in the streets with the regular people. Right. Um, there's, you don't see that in Man of Steel. There's no connection to humanity except for Lois. Right. And that's the area where I think that they miscalculated by having, as much as I did love that welcome to the planet scene at the end, they, they lost that by, he's not Clark Kent till the very end of the movie. Right. He's Superman. The entire time, he's Superman. Even if, even when he's like masquerading as a hobo or masquerading as a bartender or whatever, um, he's he's Superman. He's not Clark Kent. You don't see Clark Kent till the very end of the film, and therefore he doesn't have an opportunity to form relationships right. with people. And I think that hurt the film. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And the, I mean, the thing I love about Superman is that he's Clark Kent first. He was raised. As Clark Kent, that's who he is. You know, he, he's and well, he had powers growing up. That's not what defined him. Mm-hmm. You know? And they've totally flipped that around in this movie. And in this movie, he's he's Kal El, and and even growing up, his powers defined him. He he was so obsessed with having these powers mm-hmm. that he totally lost the whole Kent part of him. Yeah, and it's just such a shame. I think you and I can probably agree if I sum it up like this. This was a really entertaining movie. It was a great two hours. It just wasn't Superman. Yeah. Yeah. It could could have been just any sort of – they could have created their own superhero, put it in there, and the film would have been A+. Because it's a very well-made movie. Yeah. Um, but it's not Superman. I think I, and I think I finished that review when, a year ago or so, or not a year ago, six months ago or so. When I wrote it, I said something along the lines of, this is a really good movie, but it's not Superman. Right. And the sad thing is the closest, the best Superman movie I've seen in years is Captain America. Yeah. I was like, that's the best Superman movie I've seen in a long time is Captain America. This film, excellent movie, very entertaining. Not Superman. Yeah. Now that's a great comparison because I mean, even though he's got all this respect now and, and experience and, and everything, uh, Captain America is still Steve Rogers. He's still that that scrawny kid. He's he's that he's a, he's the farm boy. Even well, even though he grew up in a city, but he's that sort of all American small town. Again, he's you know a small town character, so to right. speak. You know, he says yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Um, he's legitimately cares about people wanting to help people. I mean, they played that so perfectly in the Avengers. 
of him just like, hey, we gotta do damage control here. We gotta get these people off the streets. We gotta try and get these people out of the way of the, out of the way of the battle. You know, no matter even if we have to take a, a hurt here, even if we have to take a hit, we gotta get people out of here first. Right. That Superman was picking up buildings full of people and tossing them. <laughs> tossing them, yeah, because he was having a temper tantrum. Right. Because this guy tried to hurt his girlfriend. It's like I said, there's a lot to this film that I liked, but they just the it's. They so miscalculated the character. Yeah. They don't understand who this character is. Um, and I think as we, I think we, I, I also think we both agree that the ultimate judgment of this film is going to depend on the second film. Yeah. Yeah. The second film will define whether this film is, well, it's a success certainly financially, but whether or not it's a successful Superman movie is going to depend on what happens in the sequel. And how the reaction is to the level of destruction. Right. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, once I see this next movie and how they handle the consequences for for what's happened, is going to make me go back and rewatch the movie and go, okay, okay, that wasn't so bad. They've, uh, knowing they're going to fix this, knowing that mm-hmm. this has repercussions and changes who he is, and, you know. Uh, as long as there's consequences. Yes. Because that's part of the process of becoming a superhero. That you learn. I mean, with great power comes great responsibility. To borrow from the other the other company, um, but uh, consequences are a part of the way that you gr- learn, you grow, and you mature. Absolutely. I have no problem with believing this was Superman's first adventure, and he was inexperienced. Yeah. But if we don't see the consequences of that, if we don't see some grief if we don't see some fear perhaps i mean yeah. heck i think that this could be perfect for lex luther oh yeah oh yeah actually that's another note i made was that it's a perfect setup for this uh, uh forever evil lex luther i was talking about before was you know look at look at at the damage that he's caused and can cause and is this really the kind of person we're going to put our faith in Exactly. I mean, that's perfect for luther to be there. My concern is everything we're hearing about this sequel is it's more of a Justice League kind of thing. Yeah. Which makes me think there's not going to be any running time, any 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 space for the consequences. And I, I need to see him feel for that 30 minutes of destruction. I need to see him mm-hmm. turn around and look around at what happened and go, oh my god, I, I did that. Mm-hmm. I have to be better. Right. I can't let these people down again. And therefore it solidifies his his love for Metropolis. Right. So tell tell t- me that this was his first adventure and that he just – he was so focused on beating Zod that he had no idea what was going on around him. And he didn't see the damage that he was causing because he was so hyper-focused. You know, show me that, that he's going to care just as much about those people that he killed all throughout the 30 minutes that he did in those people at the end when he killed Zod. And show me that he cared – about those people in 30 minutes as much as he did killing Zod. You, yeah, you need to have that moment where he realizes he may have won, won a battle but lost a war. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. So, yeah, okay, yeah. I think we I think we both pretty much agree on the film, actually. I think so, yeah. It's a, it's a good film. It's an entertaining film. I, I love the cast. I mean, was there anybody in the cast who you didn't like? I don't think so. Um, I, I don't think I had any issue with the cast at all. I thought it was a very strong cast. I really liked Henry Cavill. Oh which yeah, which surprised me because I'm a I love Christopher Reeve. I mean, right. That's my Superman. Yeah, and even as a, a his Clark Kent, you know, trying to be a, a person persona, he wasn't 
uh, Christopher Reeves, Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. He was sort of finding his own way. Right. Which is fine. I enjoyed that. Uh, I think – but but again, I think Clark Kent for me has to be that uh, slightly goofy, clumsy – you know, uh, in the All-Star Superman, they made him huge. And so he's kind of this uh, uh, country moose, in a, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but there's a certain charm there that I, I miss from, from Henry Cavill's Clark. Yeah. He was just – Henry Cavill's Clark is just studly. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's just this good-looking guy that all the women are like, oh, look at those cheekbones. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I love the cast. I think it looked great. I, I actually uh, – another thing that we didn't talk about was the music, which was very different from the first Superman film. That's true. But I enjoyed. Yeah. That was good. The, the only issues I had uh, with the uh, the way it looked was sometimes – Zod looks so fake. How so? Like uh, costuming, or it, it was like maybe they they had so much CGI for his costume that they had oh. to CGI him some. Okay, I mean, they were like his his face didn't look quite right, or his complexion didn't look quite right. It was just a, it was just a little off. Hmm. To me, in some scenes. Yeah, I, I didn't notice that. I did notice that. The CGI was about 50-50 in the fight scenes. Yeah. Where it's like 50-50, 50% great, 50% that's totally CGI. Right. You could notice it. Um, but other than that, the effects were great, and the action definitely was, you know, was was great. Yeah. Uh, a little bit too much, but uh, and I, yeah, I think maybe I think we agree with the whole idea that you know it's a great film, but not for Superman. Yeah, it was a Superman. Uh, not unless the, the second film needs to really fix yeah. the first film. And, and I hope they do. I hope they, they address that issue and they don't focus more on him killing Zod. Because him killing Zod is just so minuscule compared to the, all mm-hmm. of the people he killed 30 minutes before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he's super serial killer. You know, I mean, he literally... Uh, I can't even imagine what the body count was right. in Metropolis. You've got buildings collapsing. You've got buildings collapsing on the people. You've got and – then, and then just to spread the terror around, they fly into an area of Metropolis that hasn't been destroyed. You start throwing each other through buildings, right? scraping each other up against buildings, which are knocking them down. Uh, it's got to be in the tens of thousands. Yeah. And there were a couple of moments when it first started that I was like, okay, well, maybe that car is empty even though they just flew in. You know, yeah. that building's empty. You know, okay, there's people running. Obviously, they they ran out of the building just in the nick of time. No, but unfortunately, then the buildings fall on the people who are right. Running. Their whole buildings come down. You can't tell me that those buildings were empty. We had two buildings fall on 9/11 and kill 3,000 people. We had what a dozen buildings, yeah, come down Metropolis. Probably half of Metropolis. I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> it was just. Over way over the top, over. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'll probably watch it again. Uh, the, yeah, I, I, the kids I, really I enjoyed it. it. I've watched it three times now, and the third time was probably the most enjoyable. The third time, I was with it in the sense that, except for like the pot can, I was like, oh, okay, if this is the interpretation, this is the interpretation. Uh, I was with it up until the Metropolis scene, yeah. and then I sort of checked out again. I think I think the Metropolis scene and the the fact that he, he 
doesn't care about them so much, but then shows so emotion for Zod, I think that's going to get more irritating for me every time I watch it. Yeah. I think I'll go, man, they just really screwed up with that. <laughs> like, uh, that, he doesn't care about humans dying, but one Kryptonian and boom. Right. He's a, yeah. a sobbing mess, right. One last point before we put the final nail on this uh, this coffin. Yes. I did like the very end. There's a wonderful little line that I think finally captured Superman uh, at the very end where uh, he throws the satellite down, which is a little unusual for Superman. Uh, but uh, the guy is saying – the general is saying, you know, we need to watch you because how are we supposed to know if you're you – know, how do we know you're not going to work against the interest of America? Right. And he has this great line of, I grew up in Kansas. You know, I'm more American than you or something along those lines. That was a good line. That was the only Superman line I heard in the entire film. I'm about as American as they get. Yeah, I'm about as Amer- – I grew up in Kansas. I'm about as American as they get. See, I, that, that line worked. Um, but it was also like the only moment of humor in the entire film. That's true. And, and somebody made a point about – how he destroys government property, <laughs> and but you know on the other hand we're hearing a, these stories about uh, drones killing people and stuff. I, I totally bought that. It's like okay, yeah. take it down. So it's, it's like a little, he's like a he's like a ninety nine percenter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He's at Occupy Wall Street, Superman. You know. Uh, so that scene I liked, but. Um, you know, it was like a, a good film, good film, horrible film, eh, pretty good ending. Yeah. Uh, sort of like that was like the scale that it that it went with. I agree. I give it probably about I give it about I went with the five star uh-huh. rating on this. And I think I went with about three three and a half out of five stars. That sounds good. Uh depending on what part of the movie I'm thinking of when I rate it, I think I might rate it differently. <laughs> Start talking about the first half. I'm like, yeah, that was a pretty good movie. But you start talking about the last half, and eh, maybe I might rate that a little lower. Uh, yeah, three and a half stars sounds good. I, you know, like I said, I might give the first half of the movie more stars than that. Mm-hmm. But the last half just, man. It's uh, funny when we talked about this last week. I said that I would be the one drinking beers and getting angry, but I think you were actually more angry at the film than I was. <laughs> I think so. I I was. I was just really set up to to focus on certain points, and then those certain points ended up not being as bad as what I thought. And the Zod thing, yeah. Right, and then other things ended up being a bigger deal than what I felt everybody else made it into. So, I just don't understand why more people aren't upset about the carnage of the last half hour. Everyone obsesses over Zod's death, which I was totally okay with. I mean, yeah, okay. as was I. I mean, you pointed out an interpretation that I hadn't thought of, which is disturbing. That you know, he's you know upset because of a Kryptonian dying as opposed to human humans dying. Yeah. But uh, I hadn't thought about that, so I never really had a problem with it. I'm like, well, he's saving lives. You know, he has to do what he has to do. He's been put in an impossible situation. Um, but uh, yeah, but the, the, nobody or hardly anybody talks about the level of destruction at the end. And for me, that's the big thing. Right. The level of destruction and the just the the fact that he doesn't seem to care. Yeah, but but he seems to not care about anything. I mean, he, he says you know, Krypton had its chance, and then lets that shit ship crash into the city. In, into the city, yeah. And it doesn't even try to stop it. You know, I mean, which is so unSuperman. 
But then again, the film is so nihilistic in its turn. I mean, what's the great heroic cheer moment? I mean, think about this. We already have buildings collapsing. So we have 9-11 moments. And what's the great cheer moment? When the general steers the airplane into the thing and does a suicide flight. Right. Anyway, I mean, uh, the film's so nihilistic that it's like a suicide bomber is our is our hero. Right. Well, I kind of saw uh, Perry White a little heroic there, uh, even though Lawrence Fishburne. Yes, uh, yes. Probably should have worked out a little more before he went running down the street like that. I, I, I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah, uh, he's 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 got a little. He's not the Matrix anymore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then again, from what I've heard by his daughter, I think I'd understand why he's why he's eating. Now. That's true. I, I yeah. I think he'd be. I think he's eating eating away the pain. <laughs> Might let myself go a little bit too. You're right. Uh, but. Standing there, telling telling uh, Jenny that you know he's not going to leave her. He's going to stay there with her. And and even as the uh, it, it looks like Zod's going to win and and everything's over, he's still standing there with her. He, he won't leave her. Mm-hmm. And so, and again, in the Superman film, the humans do the most heroic things. Right, right. Uh, Jor-El keeps telling him he needs to inspire people, but I think he's going to end up more inspired by people. Yes, that's brilliant. That's exactly what needs to happen in the second film. Exactly. Yeah. Watch Metropolis rebuild. Yeah. But it's, uh, I just don't see it happening. As Batman versus Superman, they should be doing super, they should be doing Man of Steel two and Batman versus Superman simultaneously. Yes. And have two two separate films. I agree. That would that would be great. But instead, they're I I just don't see enough time in a movie that's already got Batman has Superman has Nightwing apparently may have Wonder Woman right to have Superman sort of dealing with the consequences of the end of the film yeah end of first that's film. true the only thing that gives me a little bit of hope is that they're shooting it in, in Detroit oh there you go which makes me think, well, Detroit's kind of a rundown place that looks like Metropolis after the end of the movie. <laughs> so maybe they are filming there for a reason that the backdrop of the film will be Metropolis and ruins. I hope so. They just they they really need to put a little more humanity into this character because, I mean, with with all of the carnage, it makes the oil rig scene and the death of Zod scene make you wonder what his motivation was for saving those people. Because yeah. he's so selfish throughout the rest of the movie. Why did he do that? Actually, uh, I think we're wrong. What happened with the oil rig scene is it wasn't even Superman. I think they edited in a, edited in a scene from Wolverine. Oh. <laughs> and that's what was going on. He looked like Wolverine in that you're, scene. You're right. That was, it was a little reminiscent of, of Wolverine. You're right. I think Hugh Jackman showed, showed up for a day, and he's like, here, wait, let me show you what a hero really Okay, kid, you you help people. Yeah, show you what to do. Now you go off and be all emo and listen to Pearl Jam. <laughs> I will say one of my favorite things about that scene was the way they handled the physics of him holding up that oil rig. I mean, so often you see Superman rush over and, and right a building or, or stop a building. You know, mm-hmm. it wouldn't really work that way, right? I mean, he wouldn't be able to hold yeah. up an entire building from that point. You know, he ended up going through it. And so some of the physics of the, the uh, not just uh, his hands denting the what he was holding, but then the structure underneath him bending too, mm-hmm. I thought that was very well done. 
it was a it was a it was a great scene yeah. you know and it gave uh, a lot of hope for the superman what superman could have been in the movie unfortunately that was the last time superman actually rescued anybody right maybe i should just watch the first 20 minutes of the movie and stop it and call it superman <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, <laughs> well i think maybe somebody needs to do one of those uh, jar jar binks edits like they did somebody did for episode one where they just edited out jar jar binks and a few a few of the annoying parts maybe we just need to do the uh, non-genocide version of uh, steel <laughs> Oh, my last thought, I think, is going to be uh, I want Lois Lane to interview Thor. I, let's <laughs> send Lois <laughs> into the next Thor movie because I am so sick of Jane. She's such a better character than Jane ended up being. My, my final thought is that I hope that Jane was visiting Metropolis that day in one of the buildings. <laughs> And uh, that'll be the end. And we won't have to worry about Natalie Portman ruining another Thor film with her paper-thin performance of just standing there and sighing and saying lines blankly. Jane Foster is going to end up being my Marvel's version of Kyle Rayner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to end up hating this character so much. Uh, oh, my God. She's, oh, she's just horrible. She's so horrible, she's making us forget about how bad the end of Man of Steel was. That's very true. And it, it just highlighted how how much better they handled Superman and Lois Lane's relationship to, to look at oh. Thor and Jane's relationship. Yeah, I, I, it was just they, – they did a great job on that. Uh, as I said, 90% of that movie I really, really like. Yeah. But the 10% is just so bad and in such critical areas of the Superman mythology that it's uh, it's like a knife to the to the heart. Absolutely, you know? yeah. But I think that's it. I think that's all, uh, all I had. Those were all of my notes there. Uh, I think – yeah, I think that's pretty much everything we got here. Um, let's see. Was there any final thoughts you had in just in general – uh, things you want to uh, look forward to for next week? Anything interesting going on? Um, not off the top of my head. I will say that uh, Marvel has ruined me on movies. I waited until the entire end of the rolling credits to see if there was a credit scene. End credits <laughs> <laughs> on Superman. I was like, we can't stop it yet. We'll fast forward it, but not very fast because what if there's a <laughs> – credit scene. There wasn't. I was terribly disappointed. So Marvel has ruined me. You're telling me there wasn't like uh, you know, you get scroll up, you get the Warner Brothers logo, you get black screen and that opens up and then just see another building tottering and then just falling. <laughs> and then fade black. <laughs> Except it wouldn't just totter. Superman would have to walk over and like shove it the rest of the way. <laughs> he's walking home and he's just like <laughs> He's like, wait, wait. My work and then he turns says, My work is now done. Yeah. <laughs> He kicks a can or something and it shoots through a building. It shoots through a person. Kills a dozen people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Man of Steel is like an evil dictator. Everybody cowers in fear as he walks by. Don't drop a building on me. Don't drop a building on me. <laughs> the next movie doesn't need to be a Man of Steel movie. It needs to be a Lex Luthor movie. <laughs> Coming to rescue everybody. Save us, Lex. <laughs> Uh, 
I think they've managed to successfully turn Superman into a villain, and Lex Luthor is going to be the anti-hero of the next one. I'd watch it. <laughs> Everyone's be talking, he's like this alien menace, and I'm sitting there going, I think he's right. <laughs> I think he is an alien menace. He's totally right. <laughs> They're going to have like a moment of silence for every person who died, and it's going to be longer than the movie. <laughs> We've uh, moved the blog yes. over to Blogger, and that's also what's going to be hosting the uh, the future uh, podcast, if I understand correctly. Yes. You're filling in on some of this stuff earlier. As always, you're the one in the know, and I'm the guy on the outside. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm your little pet dancing monkey. Oh, I, that that's an interesting image. Uh- <laughs> Um, I just pictured me with a, that was, no, we won't even get into that. Uh, <laughs> was I wearing a fez? You were wearing a fez, and I, <laughs> yeah, I, I was playing the, uh, uh the name BG just. BG-rated podcast. BG-rated podcast. <laughs> the word, just, uh, accordion. I was playing the accordion. Oh. Okay, I was like, uh, you were playing. Da- <laughs> you were dancing with a fez. Oh, <laughs> um, wow, that went to an odd place. <laughs> We've moved from geekandpodcast.wordpress.com to geekandpodcast.blogspot.com, and I am hosting the podcast through there and running it through. Feedburner, so our podcast will be a little more stable now. We're also able through uh, Blogger to see some of our visitors, and apparently we are very popular in Malaysia. <laughs> very popular, yes. Uh, yesterday, it has to be yesterday, because I just set this up. Um, we had almost 700 views in Malaysia. Which is, uh, apparently I'm thinking Roadshow. I, I, just, that, I can't wrap my mind around that. And I, all I can think of is that Geekin Podcast must sound very similar to a Malaysian word that must be pornography. <laughs> uh, in order for us to have got that many hits. Geekin Podcast must be Malaysian for really busty women I don't, or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it just blows my mind. I, I'm not sure where that came from. But we love our Malaysian listeners. Yes, we do love our Malaysian li- listeners. Uh, maybe we'd have to go do a signing in Malaysia or something to set up a – we'll call it Geek and Con. Geek and Con, yeah. Okay, that's it. Geek and Con. Use the hashtag folks out there. That's right. We, we want to create a trend on Twitter. I love it. <laughs> Malaysian Geek and Con. That unfortunately will be more than 140 characters, so I don't think that will work. Oh, <laughs> Do we uh do we need to set up a theme for next week? What do we? What's the? Uh, I'm not week? quite sure. I mean, uh, we're going to be doing next. Uh, we have a new recording session. Our first podcast we had recorded on a Sunday night, uh-huh. uh, but now we're recording on Wednesday nights, um, just because we want to stay up till midnight on a week on a work night. Exactly. You know? That's always fun. I can drag myself into work the next day and be like, "Oh, I spent four hours bitching about Superman last night. <laughs> Don't talk to me." But nobody's going to be surprised. <laughs> but nobody will be surprised. Um, so, uh, yeah, nor- normally we sort of all work out what we're going to do before we actually record. Uh, I- I'm not sure. Do you want to – I mean, okay, I have an idea. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, yeah. That would be great. Uh, this last episode was uh, connected to Thor. 
Yep. We and next Wednesday we will have a, a new. I believe there's a new episode. Well, that'll be Tuesday. We can talk. I, I was thinking maybe just general thoughts. Yeah, yeah. What you think about the series, uh, your your uh, worship of uh, Whedon. <laughs> um, that we, and, we could go uh, on for hours. Uh, oh gosh! If you thought this episode was long, guys, wait till you hear about wait till you hear Lysmith going on about Josh Whedon. But uh, yeah, I think uh, we can we can do Agents of Shield next week. Uh, I don't want to have that set in stone in case people tune in for next week and we're talking about something something else. But unless something more interesting, like uh, you know, some major casting news, and then we can always just throw that into the news section at the front. But yeah, I think Agents of Shield might be good. Do you want to include Arrow or any other geeky TV shows we're watching in with this, or just Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I am so far behind on Arrow. How about Geeky Show Past and Geeky Show Present? Sounds good. We can do uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as the present show, and what do you want to do in the the past one? Do you want to do Smallville or Flash? What do you want to do? Do you want to get an all-beaten day? What's that? Uh, that's an interesting question. I might have to give it some thought. Um, and we'll keep people informed on the on the blog. Absolutely. And of course, if there's anything... This really is something we should have done off, Mike. Probably. Actually. I apologize to the listeners out there. They're like, wait a minute. I've sat, just sat through two and a half hours of them talking about how horrible Man of Steel is, and now I'm listening to a production meeting? What the hell? This is valuable bandwidth that I use to download this, and I think they're munching on donuts and making notes. <laughs> I think um, I have to- totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is also twelve fifteen in the morning, That's so that makes something. <laughs> I had a thought, and now it's gone. Superman came and knocked it <laughs> out of your head. <laughs> no thinking allowed. I run things now. You will kneel, kneel before Superman. <laughs> kneel before Superman. Kneel <laughs> 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 before Kal-El. Yes, sir. No more buildings. I lost my parents in Metropolis. <laughs> the angry fury of the god from Krypton, the angry god. I'm going to have to work up some uh, uh, Metropolis Never Forget. <laughs> uh, Photoshops or something. Um, it's a very frightening look images of Superman cower before. Exactly. <laughs> this is the enemy. No, the enemy. <laughs> Vote Lex. Vote, exactly. Vote Luther. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, so Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I was thinking of, uh, before I, I sidetracked you, uh, I was thinking maybe uh, an old geeky show from the past, and then we could do Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as a present one. That sounds like a good idea. And um, That's what I was going to say. Of course, there if anybody go. has any uh, uh, suggestions, things they want to hear about it or for us to review or anything, facebook.com slash geekandpodcast or twitter.com slash geekandpodcast. Hit us up. Let us know what you want to hear about, and we can always do that. And definitely let us know if you just want us to record production meetings from now <laughs> and if that's more interesting than the actual podcast. It's like I really like listening to you guys just toss ideas back and forth and then the long, awkward pauses as you're trying to process that. That might work. We might have to just do separate podcasts. And just and it, <laughs> we're so entertaining when we're not doing the podcast that people will stop listening to the podcast. Just listen to the production meeting. 
I want to hear you guys munching on sandwiches and maybe one of you going for a beer rock. <laughs> tossing ideas rock. Yeah. Is Can that, you tell us what you had for breakfast as well? Is that Cheetos you're crunching on? <laughs> <laughs> Not unless they sponsor us. Until then, it's uh, it's just a generic brand of cereal. Right. <laughs> but but we are willing to sell our food or sell our, our, our eating practices for the right price. So I think that's it. Um, yeah, I think we should probably get out before the before we overstay our welcome and start talking about uh, anything. Else. Or, or the sun comes up. <laughs> or the sun comes up. It's a distinct possibility at this point. <laughs> if you like the music uh, before and after the podcast, you can hear more of that at facebook.com slash Band. Great group of guys. Really cool. And uh, if I'm not too busy at work or too busy sleeping at work tomorrow because I stayed up all night doing this podcast, um, I should hopefully get some show notes up, which not only will have a breakdown of uh, this episode, and my gosh, that's going to be a job. Um, but I'll also have all the links uh, there written on that, and you'll be it'll be like hyperlinked over, so you'll be able to uh, just click over, hopefully, if it works properly. Uh, and just click over to the the you know the blog, uh, the Facebook page, the Twitter page, and of course the Big Damn Heroes Band Facebook page as well. But uh, that's all going to depend on Lysmith's ability to cut this monster down to a reasonable size. <laughs> I recommend cutting out the last about fifteen twenty minutes of us just sort of like uh, yeah, I like peanut butter. <laughs> I had a peanut butter sandwich today. It was good. Really good. Because the the podcast listeners don't want to know whether we wear boxers or briefs at this. <laughs> uh, I'm not wearing either. Right oh, now. This podcast just just <laughs> <laughs> this just turned to this just turned into the podcast after geek it after dark. <laughs> geek it after dark. That's gonna have to be a companion podcast we do. <laughs> That one would be for the ladies. For the ladies. <laughs> In Malaysia. I will talk to you next week on that note.